1: I'm going to the
0: lobby To get ourselves a dream It's starting, it's starting! I'm a fan of classic movies.
2: Hello and welcome to Overlapping Dialogue, a podcast of double features dedicated to programming the finest, most eclectic, and downright bizarre film pairings, and cataloging the discussions that ensue. We're your gruesome twosome, Kyle and Levi Huffman. I'm Kyle. And I'm Levi. And after a few technical difficulties, we're finally yeah, on the air. Yeah, it's almost like God
3: doesn't want us to engage in this podcast. In and this and unholy, right. secular, yeah. disgusting podcast yeah. we're about to get into, which uh, we're then going to criticize the secularism of the content well so, I, no,
2: I think the the fact that we're talking about these movies is in and of itself a secular blasphemy yeah uh, i uh, guess so. how not only um uh, how these movies askew the real spirit and message of christmas but also are absolute garbage fires of cinematic proportions You know, one so.
3: actually far more than the other believe it yeah or not.
2: um so our movies today get excited uh fun stuff Christmas with the Cranks from 2004 and Deck the Halls from 2006. We wanted to pair these movies because, in my memory, they kind of easily were in theaters at the same time. They're just two very lame brain, stupid um, 2000s comedies. And we explored 2000s comedies a little bit last time with Wedding Crashers. But specifically, like, Christmas, Family, oh, yeah. let's, let's, all be, let's all get in the minivan with our, you know... Uh, Bush Cheney stickers from 2004 and drive on down to the Cineplex yeah. and see what new garbage awaits us, basically. And so, again, I, I remember seeing both of these movies as a kid. They didn't particularly make a great impression on me even then, so you best believe they're not going to be yeah. all that great now. But yeah, I mean, this was the era
3: of these movies we talked about. This movie, yours, mine, and ours. Do you remember? I never did see that. I I actually do remember that. I went to the the, theater. The cheaper by the
2: dozen movies. Yeah. And so
3: that's what I was going to say is like it's the cheaper by the dozen movies. So it was all this like. Are we there yet? Are we done yet?
2: No, sadly not. These are obviously Christmas movies. And again, we wanted to get into the Christmas spirit here at Overlapping Dialogue. And. I don't know if this was the best we could have come up with. Uh, certainly, I hope not. Uh, I will. I, let me just promise you, after two straight episodes of not-so-great movies, we yeah. actually will have some great things in the next yeah, episode, so don't worry.
3: Because, yeah, we're not going to have a whole lot to say. On these.
2: But. Any takeaways right now, Levi, from the World Cup? Uh, which oh, been well, this, the see- last uh, well
3: this evening. This morning, uh, as of when we were recording this, uh, Netherlands, the Netherlands beat USA. Argentina and Australia are playing currently. They're in the 25th minute, 0-0. Zero zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the USA's out. I'm actually kind of happy about that fact, and I'll tell you why. Because there's been a lot of people that are, this happens every four years, it's just I'm witnessing it and paying more attention to it now more than ever since I'm into soccer, football now, um, genuine, more genuinely, is that uh, what happens is, is basically people who don't care about this here in America, um, you know, at all, they're like, oh, USA's playing, oh, yeah, oh, big thing, and then when they lose, they're immediately out and gone, and you don't hear from them again. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh good, we've already dealt with that, Kick those people to the curb, let's just move on. Let's just get that annoyance out of the way. Because it's a bunch of people who never watch it, and they're aggravated while they're watching it, but still pulling for the USA because, um, number one, I guess they're white. I guess that's their main reason for pulling for them, rather than them being uh, America. Um, and there, there's a, I whole, I mean, it just inherently, we've been talking about a lot about this recently. There's a lot of inherent xenophobia to the dislike of soccer or football in America in general. Um, and so that's a big part of that. So I'm just glad to see those people that we've lost. So those people go
2: away. And to be while. fair, the Netherlands is a really quality yes, team. Yeah. They're expected to go far, yeah. I believe in the tournament. So best of luck. To
3: I mean, the, sure. It would have been nuts. Nice. To have seen the USA win, but I don't care. We win everything else. It's just like, who cares? Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't give a crap. again, we've whatever. talked about
2: this uh, on the, uh, if you listen, the uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade Pod. Yeah. But that uh, this is this is kind of a strange occurrence anyways, that the obviously the World Cup occurring this time of year, just so normally in the summers. Yeah, because um, it's usually easy
3: for those people to ignore it because there's so much else going on in the summer. Yeah. But since this has taken so many prime time slots during American football season, during basketball season, all these seasons that are going on. The holiday season. uh, season Yeah, and then the holiday season. There's a lot of TV being watched more than there is in the summer. Um, And so, therefore, uh, that's just inherently people are going to pay more attention to it. So, we've seen, I think, a little bit more of an uptick of discussion on it this year than normal. Also, just a lot of the students that I have play soccer, so they're all into it. I'm more into it, so I feel like I've been paying more attention to it maybe, but I don't know. It just seems like this year in particular, there's been a lot more like pro-team-USA, screw-everything-else attitude.
2: Well, um, I know with, they didn't even you know. make it in the 2018 uh, FIFA World Cup Yeah, four years ago. And um, I think another thing is too is like, Maybe it's just that our women's team has consistently been far they, better than yes, the man, yeah. male team, and so they've actually won some right. World Cups and gold yeah. medals and everything, and so maybe people come to it an expectation that, oh, the guys are just as good when uh, the record would back up that they're not exactly just yet. Right, so, yeah. Um, But, again, best of luck to all the countries out there. It's all about having fun anyways.
3: Yeah, and, I mean, I'm pulling for France vaguely, I guess Argentina, whatever. Uh, I don't really care. I mean, I just kind of want to see who wins out. Yeah. Uh, But I guess France. Just because, also, there's been a lot of anti-French-like stuff I've heard recently um, about since, I guess, they've won in the past and since everybody just hates the French, I don't know why. It's just uh, an
2: easy, uh, idiotic, default American yeah, setting. it's really stupid. When, again, the United yeah. States would not even exist if not for the French. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways. Yeah. Speaking of French. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Get that French toast out because we got it. Mm-mm-mm. You know it. We just got to get into that blue plate special. Hi, Audrey. Norma. Have a
1: cup of
0: coffee, please.
2: Sure. Sure. I'll have what she's having.
3: We're right in here. And back with I'm just kind of lazy yeah, with that one. Why, not, why
2: not? Yeah. So... But speaking
3: of French, uh, Sight and Sound List came out. We're going to talk about that for a while, the British, I guess. Uh, the British... Well, no, but, well, the reason list, I yeah. mentioned that is because there's, well, the top movie on the list, which is Belgian. So, yeah. is there any reason I keep saying this? <laughs> well, I guess because they speak
2: French is what it is. So, yeah. I think we've... I don't know if we've really talked much about the 2012 uh, poll on here, which was obviously 10 years ago, but it's a big deal in cinephilic circles. Is that, is that, I guess that makes sense. That's a word. Cinephilic. Cinephilic. Yeah. cinephilic. The cin, the circles of the cinephiles whenever BFI, which is, of course, the British Film Institute, every 10 years, um, Sight and Sound magazine issues a poll out to critics and filmmakers alike where they're asked, what are your top 10, You know, what are the top 10 greatest films? And this gets into a debate um Anyways, before we even really get into what this latest list was, which is, of course, again, the 2022 edition. There won't be another edition of this until 2032. So, again, it only happens every 10 years, so that alone means it's important in its own way. But this might be going jumping ahead a little bit, but in your own estimation, and it's hard to guess because every po- person who's doing this individually is going to have their own calculus, do we think people are giving... Their top ten, what they think are the, quote, best movies, their favorite movies, a list that makes them look cool, I mean, what are, you know, I, I really wonder, usually, with and this goes for end-of-the-year lists in general, too, what exactly goes into making a top ten list, because very often, it is a, you know, this uncalculable, com, you know, combination for me of favorite and best, whenever I'm making a list, um... You know, and everybody can say, "Oh, I'm not trying to make this list to appeal or make me look cool or whatever." But especially in the world of people who are publishing online film criticism and online reviews, I, I can't help but think that has something to do with it. You know, uh, and so the new list came out. I'll just go through the top ten here first, and we might talk about uh, some other films that are further down. Well,
3: can I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah Kind of asking, yeah, yeah. I guess, is yeah. that I mean. To me, when I look at these lists, I mean, uh, and (laughs) can I just say personally that, like, and I'm really not, I'm not saying this to be negative, to be like, oh, I just totally don't care, but seriously, like, all the things going on in my life right now, and everybody's like, oh, the sight and sound list came out. Not anything I was a anticipating, b caring about, or c even remembering was going to happen whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, to so when it came out and everybody was pissed off, I kind of just shrugged and mm-hmm. was like, "Okay, this is not to say that it's not important." Because I want to talk about. It's like when people say the Oscars aren't important. It's like, well, it clearly is because they clearly are because of just they're the Oscars. They sh- excuse me are a direct representation of what the viewing public sees of movies is like an award version of that, I guess. You know, the the way they're like, oh, I've never heard of that. I should go see that. So, it's kind of a similar thing to this, too. Where people see these and they're like, oh, this is like, you know, a big thing. Or, oh, uh, I've never heard of this. I should look that up. You know, that sort of stuff. But, um, that... Ultimately, though, with these um, lists, I think it's a combination of all those things you said, but I mean, you see stuff like Eight and a Half, Citizen Kane, Vertigo, um, Tokyo Story, uh, Seven Samurai, whatever, all these movies that have been on these lists for so long, Rules of the Game, whatever, are by the same people who have been around forever, like William Friedkin or Coppola or whoever, um, that have been asked these questions a million times, Scorsese,
2: and continue to put the and same, same just stuff, right? to, Just, Just to, to briefly interrupt, yeah. this is what a lot of people would call the quote, the canon. The canon is, of course, these films that have been recognized decade after decade as among the finest works of cinema that exist. Yeah. And, and that goes for any art form, literature, painting, yeah. whatever. And
3: so... Those are always going to be the same. You're always going to see those same movies on there. But I think that you're right in saying that now we're getting these, and I don't know who they ask. Do we? Are we even able to see who all has asked these questions and who well, what, the, uh, what the population of voters
2: is? I, I don't really understand uh, they that They ask various uh, critics. Um, okay. So some critics have then since came out and revealed what their lists were. Uh, just some examples of some that are online. Uh, David Ehrlich. Bill Jabiri, I saw, were two critics that had um, their polls. Let me even go, let me just briefly actually read from the actual BFI's website of this. In 1952, the Sight and Sound team had the novel idea of asking critics to name the greatest films of all time. Their tradition became decennial, increasing in size and prestige as the decades passed. The Sight and Sound poll is now a major bellwether of critical opinion on cinema, and this year's edition, its eighth, is its largest ever, is largest ever, with 1,639 participating c- yeah. critics, programmers, curators, archivists, archivists, and academics each submitting their own top ten ballot. Well, is- these are
3: just... These are people that not are not filmmakers, is what you're saying.
2: No, because there point. is a separate directors' poll, which right. is a whole other thing. Oh, but you're
3: saying so the people who vote in the main poll are all these people—critics, programmers. Oh, then that's what the problem is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. So that's what the problem is, is because those people, because yeah, you see the directors' poll, and that's always way more of a like genuine thing. Let right. me just briefly read on what yes. it says about that. Yeah.
2: Uh, each decade since 1992 so they've only polled directors in the last several decades. Sight and Sound has completed its celebrated critics poll by formally announcing sounding uh, sounding out the world's leading directors on the ten films they believe to be the greatest of all time. Though it's always been global and inclusive in scope, the poll has expanded significantly each decade. In 1992, 101 directors voted. Fast forward to 2012 where 358 directors took part. This year, for the fourth edition of the poll, we received ballots from 480 directors. This electorate spans experimental, art house, mainstream, and genre filmmakers from around the world. In every case, the voter is a director of note. Mm-hmm. So, How hey, many do they say
3: they do for that? 480. Okay. So, yeah,
2: th- and,
3: and I'm not going to, you know, and it gets kind of predictable, though, with directors, because I was going to talk bad about them, too, because I kind of have something bad to say about every aspect of this, actually. And uh, like I said, I don't try to be too negative, but... With directors, I think it becomes so obvious to continue to say Citizen Kane 8 1⁄2, all those movies, right? You're going to get that same list. For me, at least, and I am no filmmaker, but at least when I was more interested in possibly being a filmmaker, or just as a person who is interested in being creative in general, right? The art that has inspired me most is is stuff like The Godfather, right? But then it's, it's other random stuff, too. So, I mean, it's all about barometers, but it gets kind of stale after a little while when you look at these director's lists, too, where you're just like, yeah, yeah, that's always on there, yeah. And it's not to say that Citizen Kane isn't one of the best movies ever made. It is. But I do think that there's a nature to say, oh, why don't we switch this up a little bit, include new things, but then that's when you get stupid lists like what we just got the other day from all these critics. And so that's where I think the problem is, is I think you're right, that I think it's a coolness attempt. Now, we can talk in a little bit about what Paul Schrader said about all this um, and how kind of lame brain and idiot some of that was, but he's right about certain things in the sense, I think, that people are trying to... A, appear a certain way when they make these lists. I don't think it has anything to do with the fact of it being what he called all, like, what, what were the words he used? Well, I'm like, going to read exactly yeah. from what he said a little bit. But let's yeah. first just go but, through the top yeah. ten. I'm going to okay. go, go ahead.
2: ten to one. And I will say, um, I think in general it's a good thing that more critics were asked to submit Yeah, oh, I, submit mean, lists. I mean, it's always better. You you know, you're going to gonna get, get more. a more interesting list that way. Um, But just by pure logistics of the list, it actually results in a lot of ties throughout the list. That's no criticism. Exactly. That's just, uh, I think it literally goes by mentions. So it's not even like, oh, somebody who ranked Citizen Kane number one means it gets so many first place votes. It literally just goes by how many times was it mentioned in lists, just to clarify. All right. So 10 through 1. Singing in the Rain. Number 9. Man with a Movie Camera. Number 8. Mulholland Drive number seven Beau Travail, number six 2001 A Space Odyssey number five In the Mood for Love number four Tokyo Story number three Citizen Kane number two Vertigo and number one for the very first time ever Jean Dillman uh 23 Qua yeah. Commerce 1080 Brussels yeah which most people just shorten to Jean yeah. Dillman for clarification but yeah that is the full title of the movie right um Let's just start with number one because and it feels awkward talking about this because this is a movie neither one of us have seen. I've seen I've, clips from it in yeah. film school. I've always
3: wanted to see the movie. Well, and I've seen J two Il L Chantal Ackerman or well, another Chantal
2: Ackerman film, which I liked quite a bit, but mm-hmm. um yeah. So So that's number one. Yeah. Now I think the very first time they did this poll, Bicycle Thieves was number one. And then every year after that until 2012, it was Susan Kane. So Susan Kane very famously held this title for a long time. Is Bicycle long, long, Thieves long even on this list? I believe it is. I think it is towards the bottom. Or let's see real quick. Uh, hold on just a second. But uh, uh it is tied at 41st. 30. Okay. Okay. Um, So then in 2012, and I remember the glory days of this because I was in the middle of film school and I remember when all this was bandied about and talked about a lot, Vertigo was number one all of a sudden. And that was, and let me just, you know, with and Kane and Vertigo, their critical reappraisals, and Kane was generally liked when it came out, I believe, uh, in the early 40s, but due to, you know, Wells versus Hearst, legal crap that happened that it didn't exactly get buried but it didn't exactly get the recognition that obviously people in subsequent decades have believed it deserved but then as the decades passed it widely became known as one of the greatest if not the greatest film of all time similar things have happened with Vertigo that was a movie that was kind of generally disliked when it came out in 1958 Mm -hmm. um, from a director who was generally pretty beloved by the commercial public but as Hitchcock's stock has risen over the years, as has Vertigo's. Um, and so that was, I just kind of, in my head, I didn't really know what the, I I knew this was coming up soon, but I didn't know, I didn't really have any big, bold predictions about anything. I did think, I just, I assumed Vertigo would hold the top spot. I just assumed that. But um, Gene Dillman taking the top spot, and not only taking the top spot, one of the more, shocking elements of this was where it ranked in the last poll. So, it went from uh, wait a moment Uh, it went from number 34 34 to number 1. That's a huge jump. I mean, that's a very decisive jump. Now, again, it is slightly awkward to talk about a movie that neither of us have seen even though we both know what it's about. Um, but it just seems undeniable that there had to be, uh, you know, something going on to get it to this number one spot. Um, I know when I first saw it, I was really like, wow, that's number one. And I immediately started to jump through and think about how or why this happened. There was a criterion release of it in the last so many years. And that's another thing too. A lot of people have talked about that. Criterion immediately had a playlist ready almost of like all the movies that they have on the list, and it was something in the neighborhood of like 50 or 60 movies they had already had sitting on the channel, which just speaks in many ways to Criterion's influence as far as stirring the pot and deciding which films to spotlight and over time what a Criterion release means to a movie that it elevates it to this spot, Um, and that was one of them. Was on there, but also that it had apparently another thought I had was wait a minute, did this like have some big, like retrospective festival circuit, you know, Mm where it were retrospective that it kind of had? And apparently, that did um, some years ago and has been consistently been played in more art house uh, influential circles within critics, and so. All told, I guess in that way, it's not surprising that it's number one, but nonetheless, it's undeniable that it is still surprising it's number one. What do you account to kind of sing this is the number one, the new number one? Um, And what does a, quote, number one sight and sound movie even mean?
3: I'll answer that first
2: question, or the
3: second question first, because part of me wants to go into... I'm just going to ignore the first question first. Um... Uh, to me, I think it... First of all, it doesn't really mean it. Nothing of this means anything. It's like the Oscars. I mean, when you really start thinking about it, and I say this as someone who talks about movies constantly on a podcast that, I mean, gets adequate numbers to listen to, from what I, I'm, I'm aware. But, um... That none of, the, none of this stuff matters, especially to average, everyday viewers. And, believe me... Uh, you know people are stupid most people out there are stupid and they are not going to watch things that challenge them or interest them or p- pick peak any sort of artistic uh, enjoyment in their mind like genuinely that's just not going to happen but what happens though after a certain point when you get so inside baseball on this stuff is stupid crap like this happens and it's and i'm going to i'm going to bang the drum for Citizen and Kane cuz no one's ever done that before clearly but you know why Citizen Kane is seen as one of the best movies ever made is because it mass it marshals all of its style and its bravado to tell a story about people, right? About a certain person and what fame and money did to that person and what a- and and all those things. I mean, let me just inter- briefly D- yeah. say
2: all about Citizen Kane specifically. ostensibly, of course, Charles Foster Kane is the main character and subject yeah. of the movie. But you see all these other lives that are impacted by his and intersect with that. And so there's just a lot wrapped up into the story and the narrative yeah. of that movie that features so many varied characters. You know?
3: Yeah, and before and so therefore, that's why that scene is so great. is not just because of its style, not just because of that, because there is an emotional connection that happens by the end of that movie. I mean, undeniably. Now, I have not seen Jen Dillman, and I'd like to, and I don't want to speak too ill of it either because I've... You in know, some ways, th- this it. happening but,
2: to it is one of the worst things that could probably right. happen to the movie in yep. terms of its reputation. You know, um, Because when you look at that movie, and
3: interestingly, I'm always somebody who's always saying, no, we need to make movies that are more about real people, which that movie, it seems, is far more about real people than Citizen Kane was because it was about a newspaper tycoon, and that is very, that's like a king, basically, you know. um, And in relation to that, that's a far, this, G.N. Dillman will be a far more realistic depiction of life, right? But, at the same time, I'm, and I know that movie is, like, I've always heard about that movie, that it's very repetitive, that it's, Got all these scenes of her doing her morning routine over and over. It's very intentionally like a slice of life. Right, kind and then at yeah. the very end of the movie, there's one thing that's done differently, and that people say that they're like, oh my God, when they see that. And like, without just outwardly laughing at the way that sounds, that people talk about that, because that just sounds inherently ridiculous to me. Um, and I know that that movie is supposed to be, like I said, about like, you were saying a slice of life about real life, but it comes to a point where I don't want to sound too lazy or like basic. But it's like, but is that movie like that? Has that movie like
2: transformed the cinema. world?
3: Done anything really? Uh, yeah, and then transformed cinema, cinema, Kirsten cinema yeah. <laughs> in a big way because Citizen Kane, whether people know it or not, average everyday people has made a major impact on movies. Just in general, that isn't to say that. And I know in the in the whole skew of it is flawed anyway because it's based on mentions. It's not like a uh, uh, the way they do polling where it's like have I forgot what that's called, but like where it it ranks like preferential it by a preferential ballot or yeah. whatever. It's not like that. It's just like, oh, it got this many mentions on whatever. It's like, well, maybe it was like lower down on everybody's. I mean, we don't know. I mean, you know, we don't know what the like statistics on that were. I would suggest though,
2: probably if it if it got this many mentions to make it the clear number one, it probably ranked fairly high on a decent, like five or above. I would imagine on people's, you know,
3: which whatever. But I mean, I don't know. But I'm kind of jumping all over the place. But it's just to say that there's when I think of the best movie ever made, and to me, it's The Godfather.
2: I would agree. And, that, and, and let me uh, just say, anytime I see a list, yeah. it's the greatest movies ever made, and it's not The like Godfather. I'm like, okay, who yeah, cares? right. And we've talked all about that, <laughs> but that's a movie that,
3: like, like we've said on our podcast about that, and like I just said about Citizen Kane, has all the style, has all the you know the import that it does, but also is about a, an emotional journey of characters and people, and it feels like people that you know, and and, it, and it's entertaining. You know what I mean? Because movies are is supposed to be entertaining. As much as I love movies that are very, you know, all you know, movies are inherently made for entertainment. And for me, entertainment is not always what entertains other people. Clearly, um, I mean, I showed my kids at school the New World a couple weeks ago, and let me tell you, they were and they were more way more into it than I was expecting. But there were a lot that were straight up angry at the movie and were like, "What was any of that? I don't care about that. Whatever." So, obviously... It's, not not, it's funny you should mention Terrence Malick, yeah, yeah, we'll talk yeah, about well, that yeah, later. Because the best movie that's been made in the past 30 years wasn't even on the list, so whatever. Um, but, that I, I, like I said, I don't want to sound too basic on this or anything, but to me, it's just like, I doubt that movie is entertaining enough to be the best movie ever made, is all I'm saying. Like I'm not going to sit there... and maybe I'll see it eventually, but I just doubt, I just personally doubt to myself that I would sit there after that long of a movie about what that's about, and be like, oh, that's just one of the best movies ever made, when it was kind of just the same thing repeated over and over, and I know it sounds, and I know, like we keep saying, I haven't seen the movie, I know that it's probably way more than that, but just from the outset, that's what it looks like, and to go back to what Schrader had said, it does seem, and what we had kind of implied, it does seem like people are trying to be, I'm not going to say it the way he said it, but it does seem like people are doing this as like a a ploy to be cool or to be interesting. Is to, Oh, I'm going to put Jen Dillman on there. Because Chantal Ackerman, as a, a queer female filmmaker who committed suicide, there's a lot of different little things that people are going to say, oh, we want to put that on there because of all these little... Asterisks on
2: her resume, not even necessary because it's a great movie, which it probably is. But so, anytime there's these big lists, whether it's AFI does a list, which I don't even know when there's they haven't done one in a while, I don't think uh, they used to do some more regularly. But especially the BF, the British Film Institute, the 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 Canon of Film, well, and is that's like always this big, way
3: more open towards international. Yes, films, and well, specifically
2: so. the AFI is like they're more like. And I don't even think this is a bad thing, necessarily. They're like, well, we're... The American Film Institute, we're willing to honor and recognize American film. As I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for somebody to do that. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, but I, I I do think it is better, frankly, that the BFI opens it up to world cinema. But there's, there's been a lot of debates over the last... Well, for forever. But particularly the last like 20 years, ever since the internet, really, especially... What is the canon? And I'm not even talking about just film canon. All canons. This goes on with literature all the time. About how canons usually inherently have a tendency or a bias to honor white men. Mm -hmm. And there has been a lot of backlash in recent years to canons that favor that system or favor that bias and want to... You know, only point, you know, prop it up. Like you said, there's a lot of these movies that are amazing movies. We love a lot of yeah, these movies. But just but but you uh, see them again, yeah. you see them on these lists again, there is like a, huh, okay. Even when Vertigo, made by, as it turns out, a white man... Even when it was number one, that was a semi shocking moment. I mean, a shocking moment in and of itself because, oh, Citizen Kane's now number two. I guess Citizen Kane is no longer the greatest film of all time. As if any one person can definitively say that, right? I mean, they're like, and, you know, more and more as I get older, I'm now 30 years old, can you believe that? I am just James Bond's gun. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just really like kind of like wary about list making in general. We even talked about maybe doing our own top ten of what we would do, but then I stopped and think, you know what? It'd be a version of what Levi said. It would be the same. So many maybe movies. You know what I mean? And about, like, yeah. And but I also don't want to like put things on a list just to be shocking and different because I want to be honest with what I yeah, think, right? But guess what? I'm a white man. Mm-hmm. As it turns out. I'm a straight white man. And so I have to admit to an extent to being part of a bias that exists of what movies have been appealed yeah. and made for me, which is most of in American the 70s. cinema. Yes, yeah, it's like specifically, so yeah. like that's If you were mean. to tell me Gene Dillon would be the 70s movie that would be the first 70s movie that's number one, I'd be kind of shocked uh, yeah, right. in its own way because yeah. I would expect it would be Uh, Nashville, not on the list, Uh, Apocalypse Now, maybe Godfather, you know, a lot of things that I really love and really admire. Um, Now, so I have to admit to being part of...
3: also wasn't on this list. Being part part of of, the
2: very bias that does not... At this point in my life, I've not even seen this movie. Although, hypothetically, I easily could have, but I haven't. So in its own way, frankly, it's for me a kick in the pants of, oh, I need to see this. Um, And so I think this being number one, as I said earlier... Is unfortunately one of the worst things that can happen for it because it, it instantly people who are, you know, not interested in seeing foreign films or not interested in, you know, seeing things that are a little more arty or independent or outside of the traditional Hollywood structure are going to be more inclined to say, well, what is this? A Belgian, French speaking. Movie about a woman for three and a half hours who just like goes about her daily chores and is boring and is monotonous. Yeah, what's the point of that? And so, I think that's unfortunately something that happens. But this is where all everything I said I I want you to really take into account because I believe, but when coupled with a lot of other things you see on this list leads us to ask some fundamental questions about what the, quote, uh, metrics of valuing cinema are in the year 2022, because it would seem as though that for all the justified and righteous and true things that have been said about the canon, right, the canon. The canon's too white male-centric, it's too maybe American-centric or Western-centric. We need to expand it out. I think what we see, though, ultimately with this list is an overcorrection. And what overcorrections are, in their own ways, are attempt to maybe steady or, if not, tear the canon down to s- revise the canon to say, well, this is what the canon is in 2022. Yeah. Well, some of these movies making it onto this list are downright shocking, especially... Some of the recency bias a lot of people have claimed is on this list. Yeah, Um, I'm going to go through some entries here in a little bit, but um, I'm frankly shocked that some of the movies um, that are on here are on here that are as recent as they are. um, One that has gotten a lot of conversation um, is Portrait of a Lady on Fire at number thirty, a movie that we both love. Yes, uh, I I would say unabashedly, unreservedly. That movie came out three years ago. Yeah. Um. And this is a question to ask you, too, and there's a, I've said a lot of things, so feel free to respond mm. to any of those. But just, if nothing else, answer me this. Is there like a a time where we can start to consider whether or not a movie is officially one of the greatest films of all time? I think we could both agree three years is a little bit uh, yeah. brief well, of amount as, of time. Well, as William
3: Friedkin told... Um, once said to our old friend, Nicholas Swindon Reffin about him saying that Drive was a great movie. <laughs> he was saying, you know, that movie's been out for how, however many years it was at the time. It was like five or six, maybe. And he's like, that's like a pimple on the asshole of time, you know, or whatever. <laughs> uh, both men who are incredibly arrogant, ridiculous people, by the way, must say. Um, but that, I mean, I don't think there should be such a rigid... Um, Like, it has to be 10 years old or whatever. Yeah, but you know what's easy is then what you do is just don't pay attention to lists like this because they're just inherently ridiculous. So it's like there's no rules, but then, yeah, it's easy to just not pay attention because there are no rules. Moonlight tied at
2: number 60. um, Get Out from 2017 tied for 95th, uh, towards the very bottom of the list, along with The General. I mean, Buster King and Get Out just sitting alongside each other in general, and that is uh, kind of shocking. Black Girl,
3: Where's the Calls? uh, Tropical Malady
2: is pretty high up there, too. Yeah, from 04. Black Girl, Once Upon a Time in the West, and A Man Escaped All 95. Um, Let's see. Blue Velvet. I don't don't remember on the last list if Blue Velvet was on there. Mm, So that was tied for 84. I know. Moholland Drive shot up quite a bit. It's now in the top ten. That's brighter a brighter summer day movie. is
3: on there, which would be one of my like major picks towards the top.
2: Matter of life and death tied yeah. at seventy eight. Along with that, uh, actually tied at seventy eight. Uh, Celine and Julie go boating. Matter of life and death. Modern times. A brighter summer day. Santiago. Uh, Satan, Tango. Satan. Satan Tango. Excuse me. Sunset Bull and Sunset Boulevard. Uh, Interestingly, Spirited Away and My Neighbor Totoro are both, like, Uh, side-by-side. Those two huh? It's almost like
3: somebody did just come all up with this on their own and just put stuff there, and, you know? Yeah. Um, Casablanca's uh, 63. Yeah. But anyway, no, I mean, there's no way that we can say no to those things, but also they are so inherently ridiculous that they're... I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to speak is. to this, but well, it's it, like no, and none of those movies are even in the top great of whatever. I don't know.
2: Like, let's you know. talk about what Schrader said here. This he yeah. put. He's famously a Facebook poster. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that very much fits uh, his demographics. So. And so yeah. I'm just gonna read what he says here. Old angry white man. This is so. this, this is Paul Schrader. For seventy years, the Sight and Sound poll has been poll has been un uh, excuse me. For 70 years, the Sight and Sound poll has been a reliable, if somewhat incremental, measure of critical consensus and priorities. Films moved up the list, others moved down, but it took time. The sudden appearance of Jane Dillman and the number one slot undermines the SNS's poll's credibility. It feels off, as if someone had put their thumb on the scale, which I suspect they did. As Tom Stopper pointed out in Jumpers, in Democracy, it doesn't matter who gets the votes, it matters who counts the votes. By expanding the voting community and the point system, this year's SNS poll reflects not a historical continuum, but a politically correct rejiggering. Ackerman's film is a favorite of mine. A great film. A landmark film. But it's unexpected now I can hear him saying all yeah. this, by the way. <laughs> a great film. A landmark film. But, <laughs> yeah, but it's but unexpected number now one. It sounds
3: like Giovanni Rabisi doing an impression of Paul
2: Schrader. As it's, a, a great, it's a great film, I mean... Somehow uh, Contraband is not on here. Anyways, yeah, let me keep yeah. going. Well, I'm, uh, I'm but it's my but, yeah. but its unexpected number one rating does it no favors. Gene Dillman will, from this time forward, be remembered. Not on, not only an important film in cinema history, but also a landmark of distorted, woke reappraisal. And then later on, uh, some people were going at him in the comments, uh, and he was saying some stuff. Somebody said, oh, for F's sake, Paul, not you two Unconscious gender bias has influenced this poll for decades and now many, mostly men, are crying about it when a more diverse group is invited to vote and it tilts a bit the other way, dot, dot, dot. Then he responded to that. Gender bias has influenced this poll, quote, for history because it has influenced the history of art, quote, for history. You can't change history with a poll. I agree with that. Yes. What he just says about that. There is truth to that. This is where we're going to have to think here. Yeah. So Jack Hanley, a guy commented, I'm a bit confused because it seems from your stopper delusion that you have long made peace with the fact that the scales are tipped by the members who wield the power to do so. So is your real argument and fear the realization that it is no longer the exclusive domain of older white men of privilege who do so? Schrader responded to that. The notion of the canon is based on history, and if the history of film has is predominantly male and white, so be it. Uh, a lot of people on film Twitter have screenshotted that and are taking issue with that. What do you, in general, think about... Uh, we've talked about Paul Schrader recently in the past, but the, somebody of a certain subsection who has movies he has worked on represented on this very list was, say, like Taxi Driver. Um, what do you take away from his comments? In any well, my way favorite there?
3: thing about this is that you can assumedly get the writer of Taxi Driver on the horn at any point, <laughs> and he will reply on Facebook to... I, I just think that's hilarious, personally. Other than that, I don't have much to add, but that... What was your original question? I'm sorry, because I just was obsessed with that well, Just,
2: um, what do you take away from those comments? because well, again, I think there are, yeah. are kernels of... This is what... Yeah. This is what is problematic and, and yeah. about things today is that now I'm not gonna go as far as the idiot like Kanye West saying, Oh, Hitler had some no, good ideas. No. Like, that's clearly that's the biggest red flag in history is when you start saying that. Yeah.
3: Um, when Alex Jones looks like the sane individual in the conversation.
2: But it is yeah. unfortunate yeah. when we come to a conclusion where you can look at all the things he said, and I think he's mostly wrong about some things he says. Yeah. But he does have a you know, a broken clock can be right twice a day. He he I think the whole idea of specifically the first comment back I had read um, about what was it art has historically favored white men now that is not necessarily a reflection of art in general but it is a reflection on how we categorize and rank art which in of itself (laughs) ranking art is in of itself a bad uh, line of work to be in because you know it's just how can you compare this to that on an artistic lens? Uh, let's just say that the movies today uh, will not be making any sight and sound lists anytime soon, but unless um, it were like an opposite, version. yeah, like maybe yeah. like you know, worst film ever. Because I'm
3: seen. just gonna go ahead and say, Deck the Halls is literally one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's so, certainly gonna yeah, be the worst movie we've talked yes, about on this pod, um, we'll re- which re- is re- surprising that, that Christmas with the Cranks is
2: like, oh wow, a throwback. I mean, but a but, to movies, but he's know? saying like, but, that, yeah. oh, that I love this movie, but. Why is this number one? You know, yeah. why, like, what are, There has to be a rationale and a reasoning. In the same way, Vertigo being ranked number one over Citizen Kane was in and of itself a statement yeah. of this is what our values of cinema are now. Well, ten years later, and I think the ten years between 2022 and 2012 are more, far more large than what even two, 2002 yeah. and 2012 would have been. Because largely we do have more women and people of color now writing about movies, which uh, without reservation is a great thing. And I think
3: without reservation it's great that we're getting this diversity of critics to say these things. And I am fine with the fact that it is that. Because ultimately, guess what? I don't care what the list is. I'm interested in it only slightly. But no, I mean, if if we're going to get a stupid pick like that, but it comes at the cost of having more diversity in picking, then yeah, whatever, you know, we should have more diversity of thought on this, you know, and it should be younger people,
2: uh, get you know, making these decisions. Well, also, but, what, what's going to happen is, too, and I don't think enough people are saying this, all these young critics now, well, mm-hmm. guess what's going to happen? They're going to get older. And those tastes are going to change a little bit. Yeah. These tastes are not set in stone or in time. I mean, they're going to evolve and And some of these movies are going to disappear from the list. There's going to be movies that will never be back on
3: there, I mean, eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know.
2: Well, let's just talk about some of the highest debuts, movies that had not been right. on the list period and then are now on the list. Cleo from 5 to 7, which, of course... Agnes Varda mm-hmm. seen a huge yeah. yes, uh, especially in recent yeah. years. Well, there know? was a Criterion set.
3: She passed away. There was that documentary she was in. There's been a lot of stuff. you know. So, Meshes of the Afternoon was number 16. That I find so fascinating, personally, because it's it's just like, that movie's, first of all, a short film, which, not that I'm quibbling over that, but it's just like, have you seen that movie, by the way? No, I, I have I did in film school, and it's actually quite good and interesting, but if you see that movie, you, you'd laugh and think, that's number
2: 16? You know, I, like, it went from nothing to 16 right, on the it's list. It's like, okay. Do the Right Thing, which I was very happy to see was oh, yeah, on the list. Yeah. I don't know where I would rank it. but the was fact Malcolm Edney's X on did, there anywhere? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. No. Uh, but I'm glad that's on oh, the list. Oh, yeah. yeah sure. Daisy's
3: 28. That has seen a big bump. Uh, because it got a criterion release. And just in general, I've seen it feels like the Czech new wave has just been a lot bigger yeah. the last so years. I don't really know Portrait why. of
2: Lady on Fire. Well, we can talk about this a little bit. It gone from, obviously, it wasn't even made. A very special yeah. friendship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we love this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. It really spoke to us. Is it the 30th best film of all time? No. Uh, I, I, and again, I think that's doing that movie a disservice to throw it like that up there because then all of a sudden there's going to be people that are like, why is this on there? I don't like that. Blah, blah. And so and there's been a lot of critical backlash to that movie in the last few years anyways and this has been a slight bump in that. Killer of Sheep, awesome movie. That yeah. should have been on there anyways. Yeah, yeah. I don't know uh, why it wasn't. Yeah,
3: I mean, that's not my favorite uh, Charles Burnett movie, um,
2: but it, it is great. So yeah, sure. Wanda, which I've still yet to see, mm. uh, number 48. The Piano, number 50. Jane Campion, just in general, has seen a big bump
3: as well. Uh, in News general. from Home, that's another Ackerman film.
2: The Apartment, 54, wasn't even on the list before, right? And there's been talk that uh, Wilder has among the most number of films on this list. He's like a director that has maybe three, I what, think. Laughable. No, The Apartment's yeah. not laughable. I think you, we no, would agree The Apartment No, that is, should be higher than that. Yeah, but that, that's <laughs> but, his yeah, best right. film. Oh, yeah. Daughters of the Dust, number 60, yeah, and then Moonlight, number 60, which, of course, it wasn't on there. Right. It hadn't been made yet. Um, <laughs> that just goes to show what a problem that is, right? I mean, now, is this it? is a very interesting one. This is highest gains, meaning yeah. where, what it was in 2012 versus what it is now. Beau Travail, a movie we both like a lot, went from, uh, like, 78 to 7, 71 spots. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Obviously, Claire Denis is among the most well, and renowned movie, f- female directors around the world. Well, and that movie
3: came out on Criterion recently. That's another reason for that, too. I th- I seriously do think that's a big reason for a lot of these things, like we're saying, is more than anything, I think it's just... And, and you know, another aspect of this, too, is the explosion of streaming in the past 10 years. Yes, yes. I think that might have a lot to do with Criterion Channel itself. Right. And so. And again, we are
2: talking about a very insular group of voters here. Yeah. Because the average person ain't watching a Criterion Channel. If you're on film Twitter or somebody who's in this critical space or that you're going to have these yeah, viewing right. options. And I, I mean? mean, let
3: me just say, as a, as a, for Beau Travail, I show the ending to that movie every so often. <laughs> they love, my kids love it. Middle schoolers. Now, if they sat through that whole movie, they'd hate it. But the ending of it, they are quite fan- fans of, but
2: yeah. Ali, Fear Eats the Soul, went That's up 43 good. spots. Uh, Night of the Hunter, this is random that it, in 2022, is going up a list like this. I've never you know been I mean? that crazy about that movie. I, so I like it, it's but, fine, the, but, but I'm more shocked, the fact that it, yeah, again we're moving forward in time, and it's like going up further. Once again, and, people have tweeted
3: that video of Charles Lawton directing the kids a bunch in the last so many. I'm serious. I, I feel like there's something to do with a lot of this. Is this type of stuff like Gene Dillman yeah. went up
2: uh, 34 spots? Of yeah. course, that's obviously a huge bump. Yeah, but we're we talking about Tookie Buki up 27 a Soul point. Criterion release recently. Close up went up twenty five. That's a pretty great movie. Uh, I I wouldn't necessarily rank it as high as they did. But of I'm surprised that. Casablanca. Yeah, wasn't yeah um, the new movie Casablanca from yeah. 1942 jumped twenty one spots. Yeah, Moholland Drive again went up twenty spots. I'm surprised and, it had uh, been as higher as it was Mohan Drive in 2012. Yeah, because that's
3: really not that much
2: considering. I wonder if anybody tried to put on Twin Peaks the return on their list, and if like they just rejected that or just did, or didn't. I don't know. Because there's a lot of, been a lot of talk yeah. about that. M went up twenty spots. Yeah, I mean that new movie from 1932. That's what but, I'm saying. Some yeah. of these movies have been out like 50, 60 plus years, and they're moving up. I, I think that's interesting. In the mood for love. That that was kind of shocking. That that was as high as it was. Yeah, but then I, again, it wasn't because you go on film Twitter any given day and you see. And again, I think that's a great movie. Don't get me wrong. But is, that, that it is going up. But as, as, that, it as far as Wong Kar Wai, who I'm a really pretty
3: massive fan of I must say as far as I've only seen like a few of his movies but I really love King Express a lot and I think that is slightly better than In the Mood for Love but I've only seen In the Mood for Love once so I really need to see that again but yeah that's kind of surprising to me and King Express was
2: on the list too it was just further down but Playtime went up 19 spots I love that we've watched more Jacques Tati movies recently I haven't seen that yet but yeah that's the that's the consensus of his best film I would agree with that yeah Imitation of Life went up 18 spots. That also saw, I think... Uh, no, I'm thinking...
3: Well, it depends on which Imitation of Life. There's like 15 movies called Imitation of yeah. Life, so I don't know which one they're talking
2: about. Now, these are movies that had the high, largest drop-offs, or drop-offs, the uh, top 100. So they were on the top 100, and then now they're not there. Godfather Part Two was 31 in 2012, not on the list. Mm-hmm. And th- this was a controversy, I think, in 2012... Before that, they allowed Godfather 1 and 2 to be ranked together, but they stopped doing that in 2012. And so Godfather 1's still up there, but then Godfather 2 dropped because of that. So it was 31 in 2012. And let me say I'm actually
3: glad to hear that because we're Godfather 1 stands more than Godfather 2. Which we love Godfather They're both 2, the two best movies yeah. ever made, yeah. so it doesn't really matter. But I'm glad
2: to see that, that it's not the opposite. That would really make me mad. Gertrude but. was number 42. It went off the list. Raging Bull was number 53. Um, that would be in my top 10. Yeah, I recently rewatched it. It's like catching up with an old friend every time I yeah. see him. Oh, what you been up to, Raging Bull? And, <laughs> and Raging Bull's always going right. to, why, why, why? You yeah. know, just like, just, yeah.
3: touch of evil. That, I mean, that Dade County Stockade. <laughs> that's its own touch. You can catch the touch of evil
2: with the Dade County stockades, is what I've heard. Let me pronounce this right. La maman et la Poutine? Yeah, did I say that right? Fifty nine. I've never heard of that. Wild minute. Strawberries. I think there's only one Bergman movie on this list too. By the way, uh, was pointed out. I think yeah. Persona, and, and you I know think. what the problem is with that is that. Uh,
3: wait a minute. Really? Is that well, really well, maybe that? not. I don't, yeah, that movie. Maybe
2: there's Seven Seals on there. That too. That movie I mean.
3: in French is called The Mother and the Whore. Which is Jean Eustache film. I've, I've heard of him, but. Um, yeah, but no, I think that was it. And it's like, yeah, Fanny and
2: Alexander ain't on there. Or Seventh Seal, yeah. Either yeah. one. one, Either one of those. Um,
4: Fanny pick, Alexander's pick, is best, I think.
2: Pickpocket, 63, not on there. Rio Bravo, 63, not on there. Leia Cleese was 73 last time. Les Infants du Paradis, 73. A logical
3: time parody Paradis yeah. Uh, Ugetsu. Yeah.
2: Like <laughs> <laughs> Grand Delusion
3: not on there, yeah. Nashville not on there. Nashville not being on. Nashville and Raging Bull and No Godfather Altman. Let's too. talk about who's yeah. not on
2: here at all. No Robert Altman. Of course this, this list no, is not in, Hopper. <laughs> well he is in you gotta say he is in uh blue velvet at least. Oh, yeah, but I mean, I'm saying his, in his directorial mood, yeah. efforts is what, what I'm last laughing movie? at. Yeah. Uh no, no, Terrence no Malick. colors. I mean, out of all Remember the dir- colors, yeah, <laughs> yeah, none of that on here. Uh, I mean, no we, taps, no, you know, all. Let's so, make like, the list. you, we could talk about the things that were just like, why is this not on there at all? You know, people. You know no,
3: what it is? Is people have been watching that John Carpenter takedown of uh, Robert Altman? That's what it is? Yeah, that looks,
2: I kid you not. I guarantee you that that might be part of it. Um, but there's no uh, Terrence Malick at all.
1: Um, I, yeah.
2: Could it be that everybody has their like favorite Terrence Malick movie, and that that actually watered down the mentions of a single? Well, I'm surprised one of them. Badlands
3: isn't on there at least because Badlands is one of the most overly inflated, overrated movies ever made. Mm. Um, Shots fired. Well, I I mean it's I, mean, I good, do like but it. Please, it's, I, I mean like, but he literally—it's yeah. a
2: great first feature. Well I see you know Days of Heaven is already even. I I sounded almost
3: like Tarantino talking about drive. Nice try. You know, but it's a great first feature. Days of Heaven is like way better than that is. Like in my opinion. And Red Line. Well, and and we're not even getting to the point. And I'm surprised even the Tree of Life wasn't on there. I mean there's all this stuff that's Or New World even. There's yeah. a run of those. I can right. see
2: any one of those being on here, and I that's what
3: know. I'm surprised is that either Badlands or Tree of Life aren't on there. Because you know, let's pick the wrong Altman, or excuse me, let's pick the wrong Malik movies to love,
2: right? Well, I think um, I, I do but, think part of it might be that they the votes were it could the be mentions were scattered amongst be. those movies because and so not the Thin Red Line
3: was. is clearly the best movie that in my mind that's been made in the past thirty years. That and then oh, of course, our old friend Paul Thomas Anderson, no mention. No, there will be blood. Or the other, I mean, I'm a yeah.
2: master's. My favorite movie, yeah. So yeah, but I'm thinking or about Magnolia, movies. he's made in yeah. the last ten years. Yeah. If we're thinking about what is worthy of that, now again, I'm no biased. mattress man commercial. <laughs> I mean, I'm, if we're going with short films, like hello. So like, hello. And I, you know, we were we were in our group chat talking with, uh, our, of course, our good buddy and cousin Philip about this because he had a lot of takes too, um, but. I think the biggest takeaway for me of like things that are not here is no Terrence Malick is objectively bad. That is yeah. a bad yeah. thing that they have put out. If there is not one Terrence Malick movie represented, I feel on this like list. there was
3: less Godard than there used to be. I think
2: he had like four mentions. I think uh, yeah, you still, know. yeah. I but mean, I'm saying out of a hundred movies ever made, four mentions is. I mean that's among the higher. It is, numbers, but yeah. like
3: it's Godard, so I'm Shit. surprised there's less. I guess Coppola um, would
2: have had like two. Again, yeah. Wilder had three or Let's four. Say, I
3: think there was no Buñuel. Um, yeah, that's kind of surprising. Um, yeah, there, I mean there were some big, but names no Robert Altman off, and yeah. no Terrence Malick are. objectively. You know what's funny bad when, to when me. you look at the AFI list, Altman is like one of the highest names on there. I think, pretty often. I don't remember the exact number. But that just goes to show that he is like the American filmmaker. That's the way a lot of one people of think of him. And then I, he isn't even listed
2: uh, in any of that. This was uh, from Twitter user. Uh, <laughs> this is the real Twitter handle. Stinky and Rotten. Okay. <laughs> no uh, space. Hello. Like. <laughs> uh, I retweeted this earlier this week. Nashville, one of the greatest and most radical contortions of popular commercial filmmaking we'll ever see from the American cinema, is out. A third-tier Bloomhouse effort is in. Thanks, sight and sound for illustrating how cinephiles are unbelievably easy marks, just like everyone else. <laughs> no, also we haven't said no Steven Spielberg. Period. Yeah, I mean that's not a surprise. It's not surprising, but it's yeah. not good either. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean,
3: and but some I, people have said no Tarantino. It's like,
2: yeah, I mean, I think of we're all good. the other yeah. notes I have, right. that would be I'm fine on with the that. second page. I I love Tarantino, maybe. but it's like, no, yeah, we're good. So what are we where do we go from here? Wait 10 years and see what happens. I just don't care. I mean, I'm
3: immediately going to move on. I mean, it, it, to me, like I said, we had a lot of thoughts about it. But, like, to me, it ultimately comes down to, I just think it's as simple as the explosion of social media, criterion releases. Um, because I think that, I do think that Schrader's right, but as we, in about certain things. Uh-huh. But I think as we've been sitting here talking about it, I've been seeing other aspects that I'm kind of connecting the dots on. I'm like, no, I think it's just more of availability mm-hmm. rather than people are explicitly changing. Oh, no, we need to do this because it's woke or cool or what. And I think that's a portion of it. I am I don't think that's totally not what it is. And I think that's part of it is that people want to see these things represented, and so therefore they put them on there to look cool. No, But no, for the most part, I think it is a genuine... And I also think... That with cineph- cinephilia in the last so many years, we've seen a draw away from big stylism towards these more minimalist, minimalistic efforts, and I think that's why something like Jen Dillman would make it on there too high up, is because we're they're all becoming obsessed with the whole oh, this thing that barely does anything and is great. Rather than something that does everything and is great, like Sizz and Kane. Right. And I think like, there's some. But, somebody
2: else also mentioned Lawrence of Arabia is not on the list. That for many, many years, uh, of course. is... Good. Yes. But just, <laughs> yeah. you know, that is a movie right. that is widely held as yeah. one of the great films yeah. of all
3: time. You know,
2: uh, right. we're not the biggest fan so of it. So I
3: think it. there's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's fine. I mean, it's all right. But, yeah. um, But that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just ultimately what it is. is it's just this. There's all these little things about. I said, availability of movies and just kind of change of taste and, and just a bigger viewership viewing audience. And I totally support that in every way. Like if, yeah, I mean, ask more people. Or a Democrat society here. Because I would get tired of looking at the same old, like, oh, yeah, Let's we got also, all these same movies on there. You, know, you mentioned
2: whatever. it earlier. Let's just briefly go through what the top ten sure. of the directors call this. This always is. makes
3: more sense to me. Because uh, it's
2: like, oh, okay. All right, play. so tied for ninth are Close Up, In the Mood for Love, and Persona. Persona. Mirror number that's eight. That's
3: randomly high, but that is a really, I mean, that is probably my favorite Tarkovsky movie, and that is a really great movie, but that is surprising to me that's that high.
2: But. Tied for sixth is Eight and a Half and Vertigo. Yeah. Tied for fourth is Jane Dillman and Tokyo Story. And number three, The Godfather. Number two, Susan Kane. And number one, 2001 Space Odyssey. So don't worry white guys like ourselves. Yeah. We are represented in the top three of the director's poll, which in of itself is a reflection of, frankly, a more likely conservative body of filmmakers. Just, it also happens I mean,
3: to be three of the best movies ever made. That's kind of funny. That's kind of funny that's if on if there. If you had a
2: gun in my head and yeah. you were going to make me make a top ten, guess what? All three of those would be on there. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, all three of those movies would be represented. Again, this goes for both lists. I don't know about the director's ones as closely, but Oh another thing too I was th- well I mean once Um
3: I was gonna ma- I was gonna mention this, so I'm glad you were gonna bring it up. Yeah, uh, well, ahead. real quick, no yeah. Wizard
2: of Oz. I'm yeah, like, yeah. why? Wow. That that is clearly yeah. one of the best. Wizard films of Oz ever. is so that fasc- to me is the second greatest film. I was of having all a con time.
3: yeah, I was having a conversation with somebody about this couple like last week at some point. Talking about how, you know, Wizard of Oz was like, at the time, was like lost a lot of money. Nobody really cared about it. It mm-hmm. wasn't big. It was big with children. It was like, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then it, on TV, it became a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. And just that movie's total 180 of appreciation has just been so big that it's just automatically. I mean, and other than the fact that it is one of the best movies ever made, I mean, that's literally how people learn about storytelling in general. Is that movie like? It just doesn't. Yeah, it's just—it's ridiculous. Okay, so um, but anyway, the
2: only mention of another big person we're a fan of. This is this is. I think this is me and you saying this the first time. This is I've seen this be said. Now maybe it's been said elsewhere. John Cassavetes only has one movie on the director's poll: "Woman Under the Influence." Not all that surprising. That's the number, you know, the yeah. highest rank to his number nineteen. No mention in the critics' poll that's absurd too that's another that's that's up there to me with Malik and Altman not being on there it's yeah like no John Caspettis. especially you would think due to what a lot of things we've been talking about that maybe one run of the influence would get a mention uh even you know what I mean in yeah the critics poll but and no people's mention. love
3: of Peter Falk
2: right so yeah, people's um, love of Peter Falk made it not
3: possible for that or wings of desire to be on there either one of those well and then vendors should uh, go on our, on our
2: boy who's uh, is he on the yeah, phone yeah Wait a second, I'm getting Vim, a call. Wait a minute. Vim, hello, can you hear us? I can hear you very well, thank you. Do you have any reactions to the sight and sound poll in general? Well, um, no, not particularly. All right, well, it's good to talk to you, Vim. Wait, one, one thing I Oh yeah. to say is... Uh, yeah, make it quick, um, Vim. Um, oh, wait, wait, no. Uh, they hung up? Uh. Wait a second, he's sending me a text. Oh, wait, he's texting? What'd he say, Levi?
3: He says, well, part of it's... In- gutter German I can't really understand this part of it uh but um well no because it literally says this is translated from gutter German he typed that I don't know what okay. what I don't That's know why strange. he typed that um but he said um that awards do not matter I will continue to hang Just on
2: venom about the film is, is that what he said no
3: no uh, hang on let me get google translate for a second hang on uh, uh it looks like hang on it looks like he's saying something about, I will continue to. Um, what is it? What, what's that whole foundation he has? That whole thing? Uh, oh, the Vim Vendors. Day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Vim Vendors Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it says something about, oh, I will continue to archive and restore my own work. Screw everything else. Goodbye. Wow. So right. I'm glad I'm glad Vim I don't know got if that's to, a cry for help or just him just saying. I'm glad right. Vim got to get yeah. a brief moment here return.
2: Right. But again, we're fans of him. He's yeah. not on here. And again, I'm not about. Well, to he start, was on
3: here, but he wasn't on
2: the list. Right. I'm not about to start banging. The, you know, we all have our pet filmmakers. We're like, yeah. Once I'm going further down the list, like, what about Jim Jarmusch or what about this or what about the Fairley Brothers? Like, right? Like, <laughs> like, where is something about Mary? On Where's this list, movie forty you three? Know? I don't, I don't want to put you on the Osmosis spot. Jones, this is yeah. something to think about. Like, What would be the most shocking movie that you would genuinely think is one of the greatest films of all time that you would maybe put on a list like this that people go... Uh, again, I don't want to totally put you on the spot because I don't even know what mine would be necessarily either. But it's just something to think about. Maybe we'll return to this I later. I have
3: to look at a list. Um, uh, g- give me just a second and
2: I'll kind of look. It, won't, it probably won't take long. Because, uh, uh, again, I don't genuinely... Know. I would genuinely... Th- I would throw something like, honestly, it's something about Mary or Dumb and Dumber in terms of these are great comedies, I think, and yeah. where that would fit. You know, uh, I don't I'm know. looking
3: here at a list of kind of stuff. Let's see. Um, uh, I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean would be... Yeah. I'm not even kidding. No, like, yeah. It's one of the best movies ever made, almost. like you know. I mean, because uh, I'm just looking at movies I've given five stars. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at other stuff. Fantasia, is something that's never gets listed anywhere, and I think that's one. Um, another thing, just to think Uma, about. I'm a VEP, is one. I mean, a lot of people might would say that, but yeah. I don't know genuinely what what
2: mine would be for that, so I didn't want to put it you know, on the spot. Right. But I'm just curious, like, you know, that random movie that'd be on a list. You'd be like, really that? I don't know. This I don't think this is all that shocking. I'd say something like Barton Fink. Yeah. You know, and again, we're going further down here. The Cohen brothers, they don't have any on here, which is fine. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying should be noted, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my answer is
3: Pirates of the Caribbean. But I the think, original Pirates of the yeah, Caribbean.
2: that's a good option. I think, I would agree with that. Because, I mean, like,
3: it's a great action movie and great blockbuster. It's like one of the best we've ever had. So it's just like, yeah. I don't
2: know. Um, and Again, and I think another thing is, too, is just specifically with PTA, who we would agree is, I think, the greatest contemporary filmmaker of the last 20, yeah. 30 years in terms yeah. of his new work and what that's meant and everything, um, that, you know, again, there's there's a certain waiting game. Again, what we were going to earlier about, like, when are movies from the two, more 2000s movies going to start making this? Just uh, because, you know, over time... And we time, just went ahead, things, and ahead yeah, to we went ahead and jumped ahead Yeah, but we went ahead and jumped to the 2010s. Which was undeniably not as good. I guess like of one of the decade. only
3: big movies that I can think of that was came out in two thousands that was there was Mulholland Drive. Like mm-hmm. I can't think of another one off the top of my head on the list. Um, but yeah, we skipped over. We're a in bunch. the Mood for Love. When was that? That was two thousand one. Yeah. Well, so we're th- we're thinking
2: about American movies though. Anyway. Yes. Like, yeah. Oh
3: yeah, there'd be a bunch of like yeah, but I'm just thinking of yeah, stuff that yeah.
2: But again, that, that's what's kind of weird is that we went ahead and jumped over functionally a whole decade i feel like here. we
3: as a whole culture just jump over the 2000s and that's going to continue to be an issue as we move forward uh i think because of 9-11 and the war on terror everybody just wants to forget any of those things happen and i guess we just culturally move on which is very saddening to me because i grew up in the 2000s and so it's kind of just like it's kind of my it's kind of my time but yeah i don't know whatever um
2: Any other final thoughts on any of this?
3: Not really. Like I said, I think part of it is all those factors that we discussed about like availability, social media, all those things. Not as much of what Schrader's saying, although I think that is a part of it. But I I honestly think that people are more uh, just interested in other things than they used to be just by nature. And, uh, by it is a very different the, world than it was in 10 years ago. Well, also,
2: think. just again, you, the, the virtue of... This is what happens when more people get to vote in. Right. You know, and I, I'm all for a more larger mm-hmm. democratic process in general, so... Um, and again, I think what, you know, any pearl clutching people would have is just remember that it will not be this way forever. And again, wait 10 years. I know it sounds like a long ways away, but this will change and this will evolve. And, you and know, some who knows? A movie cares? released... In twenty thirty two might even make the list, you know, who knows. Who like, cares what it is? Yeah. What
3: the what's on the list. The whole thing's funny. It's just what, like uh, you know, the world's
2: gonna have bigger problems in twenty thirty two, uh
3: what's than what's on the site and sound we have bigger problems right now than what's on yeah, the site and sound yeah, list.
2: True. So but I'm just already cares. jumping ahead.
3: That's what I thought was so funny about it, is like everybody you, you kept mentioning, and I'm not saying this to like poke fun at you or anything, but I'm just saying like you kept mentioning, oh site and sound list is coming out this
2: week and I just kept being like Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. I was mostly whatever. saying that because I knew that was going to be a big, major talking point coming. Yeah. Up. No.
3: No. I get it. Come okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Come okay. All right. Now let's get into some
3: real quality. Yeah. Cinema. The, some. Some moral cinema. Here's the trailer
0: for Christmas with the Cranks. In this friendly little
4: town, there lived an enchanting family named the Cranks. Every year, they would celebrate Christmas together.
1: Merry Christmas. <laughs>
4: Until the year their daughter Blair left for the holidays.
1: This won't be the same.
4: Then Luther got a brilliant idea. We skip Christmas. We'll go bask in the Caribbean sun. We skip Christmas? What's up? No Christmas Eve party? Run away from Christmas, huh? A lot of the neighbors are pretty upset. Five months. Two weeks.
0: Two days. Five <laughs> I love the Free Frosty, free Frosty. They want frosty? They do not get frosty. Nora, stop the car. Talk to me, Nora. Please. Hello. Mom, Dad, I changed my mind and I'm coming home for Christmas. What?
4: Based on the best-selling novel Skipping Christmas.
0: We have only 12 hours, so we're gonna perform a little Christmas miracle. <laughs> getting the ham? You get the treat. Never. Tim Allen. Your face. It's like it's frozen. I got a Botox injection today. Luther. Uh,
4: mm. I'm gonna... <clears throat> and Jamie Lee Curtis.
1: <laughs>
4: Christmas with the Cranks.
1: What are you doing, Luther? Whoa! Easy! Whoa. <laughs>
3: and here we are we're back love the ending of that trailer with his you didn't see it but his face like uh, it it was a real like uh, what we always talk about the like some stupid animated movie where like somebody oh they hit glass and then they slide uh, down there and that always gets this
2: laugh you know, and, and I think Up is functionally a perfect movie, but there is that moment on the blimp in the climax where it has that, like, sliding-on-the-glass moment. And even a great movie like that has to fall short. Luckily yeah. for us, Christmas with the Cranks is not a great movie. No. Um, indeed, it's a bad movie, um, and we'll get into this later, but after <laughs> the, the follow-up we had with it, it almost like, oh, wow, that wasn't so bad, was what it? A throwback. But though. in all honesty, this movie is quite bad. Yeah. Uh, and... The horrific nature of the next movie shouldn't distract from that. So, right. yeah. Christmas with the Cranks came out in 2004. You know, uh, you know, I don't know when exactly this movie came out month wise. It was probably November, uh, November 24th. So, I mean, we were hot off yeah. the heels of the Bush Cheney re-election, the Iraq war was raging, not great times.
3: So, the raging Cajun was not happy.
2: Happy. So, yes. He was so unhappy he would later be in. Wedding Crashers, along right. with, John of McCain. course, well, yeah, also, Assassination of Jesse James. You know, in 2007, McCain should have had, like, his follow-up answer, since, oh, Carville's going to be in one of these movies, I sh-, you know, serious movies. I should be in one in preparation 310 to for...
3: 310 maybe. Yeah, that. When did that come out?
2: It was, like, 07, I think. Yeah, yeah. so why not
3: 310 to Yuma I think, and remake?
2: Yeah. And he's getting ready to run for president, so who knows? Right. That could have made the difference. Anyways, Christmas with the Cranks. Yep,
3: it's a Christmas comedy, an American (laughs) Christmas comedy film. Yeah. Based on a 2001 novel, Skipping Christmas by John Grisham.
2: One of the most random aspects of this whole movie is that it's a Grisham adaptation. Yeah.
3: Um, It was directed by Joe Roth, our old friend. (laughs) Written and produced by Chris Columbus, so he's showing back
2: up as always.
3: And 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 you know what I just realized is that we have not done Home Alone on here yet, which I feel like. Like, we have like that? a
2: handful of movies that are, I won't name the, the other ones, but are like Breaking Case of Emergency, like, oh, we're definitely going to do these one day, but... that
3: And that will probably honestly be a bring back to the commentary, like, yes. if we're going to do that. Because well, we have movie. a lot of home right.
2: alone thoughts and takes yeah. based on um, tons of things, but...
3: But Joe Roth also directed, let's just go ahead and go through this now so we can get it the hell over with. Um... Young Guns. Oh, he's producer. He was a producer. That, yeah. Yeah, oh yes, okay. We've got him a producer. Director, he's only made a few movies. Streets of Gold. Is that a Streets of Fire sequel or something?
4: It so literally like has it the same be.
3: font of Streets of Fire. Yeah. Kid you not, I'm looking at that. range of the Nerds two, Nerds in Paradise, Coupe Deville, America's Sweethearts, this, and Freedom Land, which is an adaptation of the Richard Price novel.
2: Okay. Random.
3: Um but anyway. So yeah. Adapting
2: Grisham and Price.
3: Yeah. And not the best of either, I'm sure. It, it, um, while,
2: you know, we're probably not going to talk much more about John Grisham here. Obviously, John Grisham's mostly known for his legal thrillers. And in the 90s, that really dominated a lot of, you know, huge legal thrillers yeah. in the 90s were written by Grisham. So it's kind of funny. if I guess he was like, oh, I'll do a Christmas book. Skip it. And again, I want to reiterate this. I think the kernel of this idea is a interesting one. It, yeah. it could be done better. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't. I wouldn't even go as far as to give that to the next movie. I don't know what the idea really there is. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, there is a kernel of a good idea here of like this whole family is going to maybe skip Christmas this year and, oh, my God, what happens when you skip Christmas? And, again, there are a lot of problems with a lot of things that come out of that. But, I mean, I think the idea itself is a germ of something good. But, yeah.
3: You know. By the way, just so we're... Clear Streets of Gold is not a Streets of Fire remake, okay. no matter how close the font looks like Streets. You of can fire. tell they were trying to um, traffic yeah. in that. It's yeah. about uh, Russia and the Soviet Union and boxers, somehow one of which is Wesley Snipes. So I'm not really sure about what's going on there. Anyway, Christmas with the Cranks is about. It says the film tells a cut of a couple will go through the cast momentarily. Don't you worry of a couple who decide to skip Christmas one year with their daughter do- when their daughter is away. Since their daughter's away, much to the chagrin of their neighbors, until their daughter decides to come home at the last minute. Um. Yeah, we talked about. I think it's a good idea for a movie. Actually, um, is the idea of, and and honestly, I think we said this early on. They should have just went full on raunch fest comedy on it, like s- straight up satire, straight up awful, vulgar, disgusting depravity, right? Like the kind of movie where like you got pus-ridden moles hanging all over the place. <laughs> You're you saying, know? like the Farley should have maybe. Yeah. Made well, maybe not that much, but like because I feel like there's, and we can talk later about this, but the whole undercurrent of this movie is clearly this whole like the fascism of society and conform and conformity and just like kind of I'm fascinated by that actually, genuinely in this about how. Christmas is supposed to be this positive holiday, whether it's a spiritual one or not for the people who yeah. are celebrating it. But yeah, we see with this is like a kabuki version of it, but like how insane people are about their Christmas traditions and about just the lengths of hatred that people go to to celebrate a positive holiday. I think yeah. is something that honestly we need to continue to think about and interrogate and yet this movie does it
2: you know adequately enough for what it is but it could have been way well, way better. i agree with it, that and know, i think what? you know i feel like now in the last 10 years there's more of a market for raunchy christmas movies than there might have been this exact point i don't know exactly when uh bad santa came out it was probably around this time or maybe a little later i don't know I think it was a little earlier i might have been let's see bad santa Wi Fi is not working worth crap here. By the way, so. uh, but you know, I feel like that is a version of a raunchy Christmas movie. All right, so just before two thousand three. Okay, yeah. so just before this, but I feel like now, like it would be more oh, of you're a an market.
3: F cripple your soul is yeah. yeah, yeah like, but, crazy, I think, but I, that I movie. feel
2: like you know now there would be more of a market to make this raunchier. But putting Tim Allen in it, who's known magically, as this like oh like well say anything comedian. You know what I mean? He's got this like reputation as a more conservative-minded comedian or comic actor, yet only does the lamest brain safest things ever. You know what I mean? Like in terms of the things he's in, uh, and we had this written down too. You know, he and Chris Columbus are obviously huge kind of Christmas movie icons in their own yeah. way because Tim Allen, of course, had. Um, I'm guessing, were the Santa Claus movies still being made by the time this was coming out? I think they were. Oh, it was yeah, like the I third mean, one that it didn't third one
3: when That third one didn't come out till like the late 2000s. Okay, I 06 think. or 07, uh, maybe yeah. something like that. Uh, but the greatest I, title of all time: the Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause, which is just <laughs> hilarious. 06? Um, yeah, 06. Dude. I remember when we went and saw that. Um, but so. But we you, want to talk briefly before we move on? Excuse me. No. I feel like we have to discuss this. Yeah. Of Martin Short's Jack Frost in that oh movie. Because I feel like we're never going to get a chance which to Which I think they've both been up. also
2: in Jungle to Jungle. They'd worked together back in the 90s. Uh, oh, yes. yes. Yeah, remember
3: that. Uh, yeah, Alan and Short had previously worked together in the 1997 Disney comedy film Jungle to Jungle, which I've never heard of. I remember seeing that back until when. Until you just mentioned back it. back when. Um, I'm looking at the post. This is one of the first
2: times I ever remember Martin Short seeing him in anything. On, I'm trying to load it
3: let me roll it or let me load now, it now we're both huge um, fans of martin short yes. but there's a particular moment in that movie <laughs> that is one of the most embarrassing like like we just rewatched avatar the other yeah. day one of the worst line readings <laughs> ever now it's also one of the worst written in preparation lines of ever.
2: course for avatar 2 which is finally coming out is, which uh, we'll
3: undoubtedly be talking about on yeah. the pod look at how by the way hang on i know we're jumping all over the place jungle 2 jungle poster Okay, so we've got. Oh my gosh! All right, so we've got Wall Street. He's like he's
2: like tied to the Wall Street street by like a
3: boa constrictor, and like Martin Short as like a like an indigenous like an indigenous native jungle person. Yeah. So it's like Crocodile Dundee, but like how politically correct do you think this movie would be if we went back and watched it? I don't know. Also, it's Jungle Two Jungle. Yeah. Is that supposed to be a sequel, or is it just like... Was uh,
2: Jonathan Taylor Thomas in that movie, or... Uh, uh, let me look. We, uh, Sam Huntington... No. There was some what? other... Well, I'm thinking of just the 90s. Maybe them both being on uh, Home Improvement, I'm thinking of. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I don't want to die, Dad. But they, but they were both um, in these Disney movies yes. in the 90s. Now, but anyway...
3: Okay, so, so one of the worst line readings ever from one of the worst line r- r- written lines ever is in Avatar, uh, the James Cameron film where Sam Worthington says, sometimes your entire life boils down to one insane move, <laughs> which we
2: have been talking about for the last two days. And like, I, you lot. know, there's little things people make fun of Avatar here and there. I've yeah. never really heard anybody draw attention yeah, to that like line. One
3: insane
2: move. Yeah. Like like it's a chess move or something. I don't know. And we were talking, too, about when we were watching that, like how mind-blowing is it that you can be in the highest gross move of all time and then still not have some pretty big career bump because of that, and then... Oh, you're gonna! Oh, you know, I did Black Ops. Or he was in yeah. uh, that Terminator uh, oh, that's right. movie, which he probably got through James Cameron connections. Yeah, knows? yeah.
3: But but anyway, so there is this line reading in Santa Claus Three: The Escape Clause. Yeah. Of where a girl's like, "You need to chill," to Jack Frost, and he says,
1: "Okay, okay, chill." I invented chill.
2: Hopefully, we found that clip. I'm not. I'm exactly sure we did. Sure. Yeah. But, but just in case we didn't, why don't you give us? The line? I
1: invented
2: chill. Because he's Jack Frost, get it?
3: That wasn't all the trailers. It's got to be out. There it somewhere. probably is. Yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. hedging our bets. No. Well, I got hedging. to scream
2: it anyway. Yeah. Um, literally one of the worst things ever. <laughs> we love moment. Martin Short. Oh, him, yeah, oh but, yeah. Oh yeah. But he'll but take money, whatever. You yeah. know. Well, also, and we haven't watched the whole Santa Claus movies in some no, time, but and I, I don't want to. Either, uh, but, yeah. The second one has the whole thing of like the what is he like a. Like a robot or like a clone or something of Tim oh, Allen, like yeah. the villain basically. That's
3: like the weirdest thing ever because it's like him, but it's like a mannequin doll. Yeah, like, it's like a robot, basically. It's or so whatever weird it is. Yeah. It's like in the flesh, standing right in front of you with no one else around, as as uh, the fake Mr. Krabs would say. And, uh, um, and
2: to, again to just anyway, talk anyway. talk about Tim Allen a little yeah. bit here. You know. I feel like it's easy to hate on Tim Allen, but for the particular lane he mostly stays in, I think he's a mostly fine enough comic actor. Yeah, I
3: don't like actually... Ha- actor, I know a lot know. of people really hate Tim Allen. I don't really mind him so much as I just don't... And, I mean, something that's unspoken that we haven't even mentioned is him as Buzz Lightyear. I mean, he's mm-hmm. well, the One of the truly great yeah. voice vocal oh, performances. Oh, yeah. So, like, I mean... For that, if nothing else, I will always accept and Tim Allen like for what he is. I feel
2: like he's even steered yeah. into the lane of being like, oh, like what was that stupid Last Man Standing last show man standing, he was on? Yeah. Which is almost Home Improvement 2.0, it looks like, which we've not really watched much Home Improvement either, which should be No, I honestly watched more Last Man Standing than I did. But like Home you know, watching Last Man Standing, like it has this whole veneer of like, oh, he's more conservative and he's not going to take this fuddy-buddy modernism or whatever. But on the whole, it's rather inoffensive. Yeah. If, if pot yeah. shots. It's like that's to the point of being kind of lame that he even thinks this is all that like controversial in any way. Do you know what I mean? And again, he's had his controversies in the past. Not only do his cocaine use, but also just you know, again, being trying to like incite more. Oh, I'm a more conservative, and I'm I'm not going to stand for this politically correct crap of today. But then you watch the things he's in, and it's fairly light, inoffensive... Stuff. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, I don't really have that much of a problem with him. And on the whole, he's mostly pretty funny in this movie, too. It should be said. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's actually. The whole scene we, yeah. we played it last week of like him when he's got the Botox and he's like keeps trying I to eat feel and he can't like, yeah, yeah. that, that is actually a genuinely <laughs> funny scene. We
3: continue to laugh. I mean, we watched the trailer and we were still laughing about it. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and I think Jamie Lee Curtis is fine enough, too, but we'll get they're, to they're a it. They're an odd couple, yeah. I'll say that in terms Yeah. Of it's a, pretty different. I mean, it, it's. Yeah, it's pretty strange. I mean, because now it's it's funny with Jamie Lee Curtis. Now, especially the last few years, we've seen her be in these new Halloween movies. We saw her in Everything Everywhere All At Once. She's done knives this out. more Knives Out. She's done this more explicitly genre lane that she's yeah. went. Whereas this was at a time in her career where she was kind of just doing anything. It seems like, and yeah. so that's kind of interesting. Quickly before we move on, do we want to go ahead and just talk about something that went viral here a while back that? documentary about the Dana Carvey well, show. Before we do that, yes, I just always, because, also just wanted yes. to mention yeah. about
2: Chris Columbus, of course. His first big script he ever wrote that got attention was Gremlins. That's, yeah, of course, right. a Christmas mm, yeah. movie. Uh, Home Alone, Home of course, Alone. Yep. which he directed and the, the first two movies. Yeah. Uh, and then even like the, the Christmas sections of even the first two Harry yes, Potter movies are very too. iconic. Yeah. So just, these are both, you know, obviously Chris Columbus did not direct this movie, but it has his Certain fingerprints on it um, you can certainly dis- discern as far as like home loan stuff, yeah. the connections you can find. Um, so, again, there is an implicit appeal of this movie. And, again, most, they they don't even need to say exactly who Chris Columbus is, which, again, this would not been his first thing in any capacity really since, I think, Chamber of Secrets would have been by this point yeah uh but just like all they need to say is like uh from the director they can even say that and get away with that from the director of home alone even even by writing home alone and obviously tim allen being in it that instantly it's like oh these christmas movies that i like these these talents oh i'll go for that you know right now what you were just mentioning (laughs) was there's a documentary that's been recently made about the uh the Diet Mug the, Root Beer Dana Carvey Show. Yeah. The Dana Carvey Show, uh, yeah. and all and like it's obviously short-lived nature, and all the huge talents who actually worked on that show, including um, Steve Carell, uh, Stephen, Stephen Colbert, Colbert and, um, who else? There's uh, a lot of people. Uh, insult, Robert Schmeigel. Uh, Robert Schmeigel. And just yeah. a bunch of people. And yeah. there was a clip they showed of them talking about the fact that I think they followed Home Improvement, right. uh, and that they really had no clue what Home Improvement was or was trying to be, and then th- they were following that. Um, and the they were both comedies, obviously, but they're both very right. different comedies. Yeah. I will say one thing I really like about that clip uh, of them talking about is is they're not really all that condescending towards Home Improvement. They're no. kind of actually yeah. thinking out loud about Oh, this oh, was a family show. It was, was supposed show, to be a family, show, be a family and, show, and everybody right. watching, we're definitely this more avant garde kind of style yeah. of comedy. But there's a clip that they show of it's like a very special episode of like Jonathan Taylor Thomas like, crying, like, I don't want to die, Dad. Like, I don't yeah, know what's it is, going I, whatever on. whatever he is, we'll get through it. And whatever, he's hugging yeah. him, and it's like the announcing voice, like, uh, uh, a special, a special episode of Home Improvement, followed by the Diet Root Beer. Uh, the uh, Diet Mug Root Beer dinner concert. Yeah. <laughs>
3: do, we, do we just want to play the clip here? Because it's yeah. on YouTube, so we can find it.
4: I had never watched Home Improvement. When I heard about the time slot, I thought, oh, well, maybe it'll be compatible because Tim Allen's kind of a man's man kind of guy. And uh seemed like maybe he's a hip comedian. He had been busted for cocaine or something. <laughs> I don't know, is home improvement a little racy maybe, right?
0: I get your point now, Tim. You respect me,
4: huh? I hadn't watched it until about four shows in. I just stopped everything at nine o'clock on a Tuesday and watched it and just watched in horror, just not believing what we had foisted on this audience abc tuesday a parent's worst fear losing a child
0: i don't want to die dad you never know
4: whose family it will happen to an episode so powerful it hits home we'll beat this thing no matter what it is you know i'm not letting anything happen to you a special home improvement followed by the diet mug root beer dana carving show <laughs> What can you say? I mean, that just says it all. That just says it all. What were we doing? It was being marketed as this kind of fun show. And I think people were like, what the fuck is this? And I thought about what we had put on television following this family-oriented show that I now realized was successful because kids and parents could watch it together, you know, and then our show would start and kids and parents would, you know, run for their lives. That whole show was just like, fuck you, dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not home improvement, all right? Fuck you. I like Grandmother Clown, all right? You might not get it, but that's because that's your deal, all right? That's you. That's on you. And my dad, of course, is like, I don't like Home Improvement either. Why are you yelling at me? And I love, uh, I love
2: initially when they're showing the clip of Stephen Colbert like uh, already clutching his hand, like, oh my god, is that what was going on on yeah, Home Improvement? And Steve and then, Carell kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And
3: then that just immediately all the laughter that comes out of that. I love just the way the guy reads it. It's like Home Improvement followed by the Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey Show. Like, it's just that, so that serious reminds me of. Like. Um, I'm
2: gonna play this at the very end of this episode. There was like a late '80s. Muppet Christmas special kind of thing. It wasn't obviously Muppet Christmas Carols before that, but of like, oh, it's like <laughs> you're gonna hear the audio later. Um, I might actually just uh take a brief pause here so Levi can hear it. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, everyone!
0: Yeah. Merry, Merry, Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas I'm Dr. Timothy Johnson. Later on Nightline, it's a controversy about life and death. Do you keep a doomed baby alive so its organs can be used to save the lives of others? Stay tuned for Julie Andrews and the Sound of Christmas next, followed by Truman Capote's Emmy-winning
2: classic, A Christmas Memory, starring Geraldine Page. <laughs> so we just went ahead and decided. You to know, play about, that you in know there. you've already
3: you know everybody's going to walk away from that thinking about the same thing. But my favorite part is Truman Capote's uh, <laughs> after that. <laughs>
2: But don't you love just the music in the background? Yeah, was and, like,
3: a doomed baby to keep a doomed baby alive. Like, <laughs> I was going around on Twitter like, I wish which or it would so have been ago. that CNN woman who's like a doomed baby alive?" Oh, you gosh. know, I like, yeah. got literally the worst voice ever. Anyway, yeah, uh, that, where are we again? Anyway, well, oh, well, but yeah, that I just thought was so funny because it was like, made me start thinking about Tim Allen again. And so I've kind of been thinking about Tim Allen off and And again, on I'm not trying to be some big system. Tim Allen defender no, no, necessarily, no, but yeah, I'm like, but. you
2: know, of all the figures in the contemporary cultures of celebrity, yeah. He's yeah, fine. Yeah. Let him be around. Yeah, yeah. He, you know. Big so big we've role.
3: talked enough about him as Luther Crank. He's kind of the. So he's. Um, so
2: he's. What, what does he do again? He's like we're just working in works an in office. office. It's kind of uh, non. Let me see if it actually like, even
3: says. I don't know.
2: Um, he's like an accountant. So just some boring office job, and him just being constantly harassed by all the people he works with. Oh wait a minute, you're, you know you're skipping Christmas. And again, he's not even this like huge anti-Christmas guy. He's just like, "Oh, our daughters leaving now. We only had the one daughter." And he comes to the natural conclusion, I think a lot of people a of certain age get to when they get a little older where they're like, yeah, "Yeah, let's not do Christmas as big." He comes up with the idea, "Well, let's travel at Christmas." And that's a very popular thing actually that, you know, certainly not the majority of families do, but a right. sizable minority yeah. of families decide to do during Christmas, yeah, you know. Right.
3: But um yeah, so... So, the, so, I think he
2: makes a good little lead in terms yeah. of being this kind of sarcastic, slightly sarcastic, um, you know, just average, everyday American Yeah, because man his whole dad, plan I is, mean, first
3: of all, to save money on Christmas and also to get out... The whole point is they're wanting to get out of the house because their daughter's not there. Yeah. Because um, she went into the Peace Corps in, like, Peru.
2: Oh, my like, God. Isn't his daughter just the best? Oh, my yeah. God. She's so great. Oh, my God. She's so great. Like... I get now, again, I think the Peace Corps is a very admirable thing to yeah. do. Uh, but we were just constantly being told how awesome and great his daughter is. Yeah. And, and after a certain point, I'm like, I don't even care at all. And the fact that also the trailer spoiled this, so it's not much of a spoiler, anyways, that like she's coming home, actually, and everybody will move heaven and earth. Yeah. to make sure she gets her christmas. It's just yeah. like, okay. And like so she's what?
3: supposed to be this humble person, but it's like then she expects all these yeah, little right. things. Like, oh, where's this food I want? Where's this? Where's that? And it's just yeah, it's just totally ridiculous. I mean. Yeah. Uh and I yeah, because it's like we're not doing this for Luther. We're doing this for Blair. Yeah, Meanwhile her name is friggin' Blair. Blair Crank. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sounds like an action uh, Blair Crank, you know, Yeah, Crank Two, played by Julie, crank Julie three, Gonzalo, sh- cr- Crank Three, um, Who is
3: on that Veronica Mars. Okay, um, good for her. Dallas, the the Dallas reboot, you remember that? Yeah, and Supergirl. Uh,
2: we don't have anything much to say about her. Other I mean, she's not in that, the movie yeah, very much, but yeah, it's just very much. Like, oh my
3: god, I'm so great. But it's just like, like
2: the whole, and like you said, they're like, yeah, we don't, we're not doing it for you. It's like, because we've been feuding the whole movie. Like, we're going to do it for her. And it's just like, you know, I don't know. And like, literally there's the moment where she's coming home
3: and they get Eric Per Sullivan, kid Spike, who is on Malcolm in the Middle to literally guide her in on oh, a that bike. Oh, and, well, and then there's, yeah. she gets
2: like a police escort and all this stuff. It's like, what? It's, yeah, it's, it's it's, like, it's, the whole time I'm yeah. like, what is so special about her? Like, anyways. Anyway, Jamie Lee
3: Curtis is Nora Crank Luther's wife. She, of course, is more like accepts it, but isn't really into the whole thing anyway. The whole idea is she's the one who has to take a lot of the brunt of the of the anger because she has to be nice and represent the family in different places and and you know
2: it's you always know. slightly strange to see Sigourney Weaver not Sigourney Weaver, excuse me uh jamie lee curtis in these type of roles or well, I, I think of like stranger Things. Sigourney weaver die in avatar then possibly come back question as mark. the daughter of yes. sam worthington and zoe Saldana's characters whatever we'll see we're not even going to get into literally uh, if i shake
3: my head any harder it will fly off uh, of my
2: shoulders apparently uh, what stephen lang's role in the movie the is recombinant yeah, yeah which will again we're going to talk about that movie at length when yeah. it comes out
3: uh but they will eat you up. Like, you know, kinda <laughs> But uh, like it's a weird fit for her. Black cow. <laughs> bye bye, blackbird.
2: Like anyway. when uh by Stephen Lang. She by the plays way, these roles of like, oh, like the the like un, like the um the hapless housewife, like in this or in true lies. Because we yeah. all got to know her, of course, through Halloween and roles that in general allowed that were more explicitly or implicitly feminist or more Women kind of fending for themselves, and then all of a sudden she's there's a period where she's in a lot of these kind of more lamestream movies, and is just like hapless mother. And then I feel like in recent years has been getting more towards playing better roles again, or being trauma. more offered, you know. She's
3: <laughs> making moves about trauma. <laughs> uh,
2: but you know what I mean? Your job I feel is like- not to
3: score. <laughs> the job's to get the girl right like, yeah.
2: uh, but I mean a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once among many other things is like she just gets a lot of random things to do in a role that in the beginning seems as very yeah. small then and she has school. hot dog fingers and right it's like, yeah. yeah but I mean it's just strange to see her in these type of movies where she's a hapless mom uh, and or hapless wife and like true lies but Anyways, she I mean she's good in the movie. Yeah. But now somebody else you really love, let's go and talk about this. Well, you know, Dan Jack Aykroyd. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd we, is and Vic we've Frohmeyer. talked about him before on here, I think. Probably. Uh yeah. but listen to the
3: way this describes okay. him. Vic Fromier, the cranks' domineering neighbor and usually the ward boss of the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Ward boss. What was he like? I, like what, what is well, he
2: like, uh, working in Tammany Hall? Right. Well,
3: and I feel like that's ultimately what he is, though. It's strange that they would describe it that way, though. I mean, but he's an incredibly, like, Bush 43 era fascist, like. And we don't want to, like, we really don't want to, like, like you, know, you know, we're more liberal, progressive yeah, right, minded people, but, of course.
2: We yeah. don't want to read too, too much into the, like, Bush era politics yeah. of this movie, but it is there. I, I mean, it, like, there is a certain... You can make this same movie thing. about, what, you don't support the Iraq
3: War, or you don't support the troops, and it would be the exact same movie. Yeah. Like, around the 4th of July, there you go. Yeah, like, You could, honestly, you know, I
2: mean, yeah. And make that a comedy. Independence but. Day with the Cranks, that'd be the sequel
3: right. that never got made. Uh, but, yeah, and so, Dan Aykroyd is literally one of the worst people. Like, So, like, the only person worse than him is, like, is... Our old old friend Chevy Chase, mm-hmm. who, as I recently recognized, was the Ryan Reynolds of his day, but he never even tried to look n- nice about himself. Yeah, Ryan which Reynolds I has respect a veneer, more though. Yeah, well, I, I respect more that he Reynolds is, is openly. that he is openly an a hole. Now Ryan Reynolds is like, oh, I'm an a hole, but like, but I'll smile and I'll pat you on the back. And what? What do you expect for us to just pat you on the back? As <laughs> Pete
2: Campbell would say. But, I mean, but, I thought yeah. that's a product of the yeah. times, yeah. you know, more
3: than that anything. That they're like, oh. He's got to uh, be nice. Right. In, but, literally, yeah. but what's weird about Dan Aykroyd is that he never, like, he was never even like that. He just sucks. He just sucks. Like, and, and, so, and to be yeah. fair,
2: Dan Aykroyd will at least always have the original Blues Brothers. Right, that's you true. You know what I mean? So, that that's always. But, he's good.
3: one of the most annoying things about that movie. We're on a mission from
2: God. Uh, like thank God. that. That. <laughs> He should have said yeah. that in this movie, you know, brought it back, like, we're on a mission for God.
3: Yeah. Like, you know. But,
2: you know, he's a real, oh, yeah, Canadian,
3: yeah. Figured. <laughs> like uh, Rod Riddle. Well, Rod yeah, Reynolds' I mean, oh, Chevy right, Chase. Well, where's Chevy Chase from? He's Chevrolet Chase. Chevrolet Chase. <laughs> what is his real name, by the way? His real name is uh, Cornelius Crane Chase. He's from New York City, yeah. Um...
2: And i yeah. like, you know, and again, I don't like Chevy Chase, but it seems like it's almost too easy to hate on Chevy Chase. Now. Yes, like, yes. I because mean, it's like,
3: but Dan is just sitting right out there in front of everybody, just existing. And yeah. it's like, yeah, Dan Aykroyd, and also him being in uh, Ghostbusters, yeah, um, which we're not. It's the state Dug. puff marshmallow, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> he talks like a five year old, but he talks like a five year old Chicagoan. Yeah. Like, Chicago. Yeah. Chicago, yeah, it's just Stay puff Marshmallow Man. You know, right. at least you know, we
2: got John Candy out of the seventies, eighties c- Canadian. Well, so him and Harold, I guess, Ramis, and or,
3: uh, well, uh well, Richard Ramis, is he uh, Canadian? No, uh, no. Talking about Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis, yeah. Now Rick know. Moranis is a saint, yeah. and like and John Candy too. But yeah. no, I mean, it's just out of that whole group, it seems like the person who stuck around the longest is Dan Aykroyd. Did you they hear just by the way the about, crackles, about
2: like, planes, trades, and automobiles is getting like a new four K? Release why well, that is being 4K. I'm not sure Whichever everything yeah, that way, right, but, but. Uh, that it has like there's been like some legendary for years, like 45 minute like a deleted scene reel that's not really been released. And there's, I've kind of been hearing about and it that but. it's coming out, and that there's this clip that <laughs> was on Twitter of like him like eating a hot dog John candy and, or John yeah. candy, eating a hot dog and smoking at the same time. It's like yeah. really like yeah. a bit funny yeah. bit of physical comedy. Yeah, that movie's continuous. pretty
3: good. I haven't seen it in a really long time though, but but anyway that. But I think that's what makes me mad about Dan Aykroyd though, is it's not like John Candy who died or Rick no, Moranis yeah. who just kinda left Hollywood and didn't really For noble like, reasons, yeah. like it just didn't really wanna do movies anymore. Or Chevy Chase who like Just just sabotage his own career. Right, sabotage his own career by being an an open a hole. Like Dan Aykroyd has stuck around more than those other people to the point where he's just more annoying in his own way because he doesn't contribute anything, but yet doesn't do anything to piss everybody off. Well, I think, you know, this could probably offend some people.
2: I feel like he's rode on the coattails of John Belushi's memory for a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, and obviously he tragically died too soon. Right, and, and and
3: even and even Chevy Chase, too. and just by by nature of being a Saturday Night Live guy, yeah. too, I think it's just there's a lot of people in that original cast or those first few years that are not all that great, but have just stuck around. As I mean, Eddie Murphy's and another somebody one like of those Bill Murray me, like, has, you, you know, know,
2: transcended into being yeah. his own. Brand yeah. and you know, and Eddie Murphy so was
3: later, but that's another thing. Of like, I feel like Eddie Murphy has coasted on that for a long time, and it's just kind of just like, why are we still yeah. doing this? I don't know, or even 48 Hours or uh, Beverly Hills Cop, you know, yeah. those movies, but like, I don't know, there, yeah, there's that whole that whole era of comedy is actually low key trash, actually, when you really start like picking through who all's in it, mm-hmm. it's like, mm, yeah, 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 but anyway, um, so yeah, he's garbage. Um, <laughs> I kind of like him in this a little bit because it's like an open admittance of a lot of the movie's themes, and I feel like he's good enough for that. I, I do like that one scene where he's like, "We want Frosty." Like, yeah. <laughs> stop making this demand yeah. like it's he's a hostage like, a, situation. Stop the car. Like, yeah. You know, like, yeah, and then like so th- it
2: doesn't. Th- this doesn't explicitly take place in Chicago. It's just like in Illinois. Yeah, no, though, it's I in think, Chicago. Right. Okay, I mean like it's sh- yeah, it's, it's like, like suburbs. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, okay. Like,
3: yeah, but and then there's that scene where he's like trying to stop her, but she rolls the window up, and all oh, his gloves stay in the window. Yeah, and it's just like mm-hmm. yeah, but anyway, Dava Halsey is Amanda Frowmire, the doting wife of Vic and loving mother of Spike. I don't remember her at all in this, I don't know so we're moving on. She Julie Guns all over talking page. about Mm at Walsh, um, as Walt Shield and Elizabeth Franz as Bev Shield. They're like the neighbors. Uh, the Bev character is like in remission from cancer or something, and she's like really nice, and everybody liked her. And then at Walsh is like real annoying, obnoxious, like hates. And he's Tim really Allen, more like, the mortal enemy of Tim Allen, right. even more so
2: than uh than the Ward boss. Yeah, right,
3: <laughs> <The> Ward <boss. laughs> So I think mm at Walsh. Well, first of all, he's great in everything, so it's like you can't really screw him up if you put yeah. him in something. But I feel like he's pretty good. In I will this, say, but... I
2: think like towards the end, they have this whole scene where Tim Allen gives them his the tickets, tickets. Yeah. and that is actually a, a genuine. I can't believe I'm saying this about this yeah. movie. A genuinely heartwarming scene. Yes, I is. think yeah. like, and it's like, oh, that's actually nice, and like doesn't feel too. And Chris Columbus has a good way with. You know his Christmas movies in general, of not making it feel too saccharine. It feels like it's earned. It's not like as cheap and you know and plasticky as a lot of these Christmas movies in general are. So that is actually I can't I can't believe I'm saying this, but like a well earned emotional moment in this movie, you know, uh, is that when and they're even like, can I? uh, I'm still can hate you, right? Or basically when he's walking away, he's like, oh yeah, fine, but you know, but they old man, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Stop that car. Uh, yeah,
3: um, but yeah, that's actually one of the better parts of the movie, I think, and it's also by nature of Emmy Walsh being involved, I think, but yeah. um, Eric Perth-Sullivan is Spike Fromeyer, Vic's son, that's that kid's old Malcolm in the Middle. I don't really know what ever happened to his career. Teddy's um, a former actor, and yeah, I guess he doesn't look like he does much now. Stuff. He's in a movie called 12 as Timmy. <laughs> okay. Uh yeah, Joe he, Dirt. He, oh, I forgot he was Little Joe Dirt and Joe Dirt. <laughs> oh, he had the mullet and everything. Yeah. I remember. Oh, yeah.
2: uh, we got any thoughts on Malcolm in the Middle? Not really.
3: I, I mean, don't really it, it's a show that I watched a lot when I was a kid and it has not stuck with me at all. Really, I wonder honest. how much
2: it would hold up. Like he's in now. Armageddon
3: as kid with rocket ship, uncredited. Good for him. The King of Queens is young Arthur episode shrink
2: wrap. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. really have any bit. I mean, I feel like he was really good on that show. Yeah, actually. I mean, he, he played a very strange character and kid, yeah. but was funny. Like yeah. that kid,
3: like the kid from the kid from Hey Arnold, who's a yeah. He just appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> anyway, right? everybody's like, "What are y'all talking about?" Yeah. Anyway, in this, he's whatever. I mean, he's there.
2: You can tell it's like they cast him. Oh, that kid. Yeah, yeah I mean, not yeah. much going on.
3: Cheech, Cheech Marin and Jake Busey as the cops. You know, Officer it was Officer Lino and Officer Trine. It was just a built-in
2: cheap laugh. Like, oh, Cheech Marin playing a cop.
3: Like, oh, because he likes to smoke
2: reefer. It's yeah. like, <laughs> okay.
3: I say no to reefer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're barely in the movie. It's whatever. Uh, honestly, Cheeks Marion should have played more cops. They were like, trying to but, sell those like
2: calendars yeah. of like cops. That's like, like a post- little bit weird. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like like it's like pin up calendars of cops. Like oh, gay panic. Like oh, this yeah. whole thing attached to that. Well, there's more of that in the second, which movie. is
3: strange. Yeah, which is strange, especially considering this was an Iraq War, War on Terror movie to make police even look a little bit like oh, they mm, they might be kind of weird. It's kind of strange. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Austin Pendleton is Marty, <laughs> mm. an umbrella salesman who somehow knows everyone who's actually Santa. <laughs> well,
2: we'll talk about that more later. So that character, he's a daggum freak most of the time. Oh, yeah. He's like coming in and like knows all these actually kind of like, like that character a little bit, but. As far as
3: other things he's in, Catch-22, you remember him in that at all? Uh, not really. Okay, What's Up, Doc, the front page, the 1974 version of the front. I swear, if I, if I hear of another version of the front page that has been made, I'm literally going to kill somebody. I'm tired of hearing about that movie. Move on.
2: His Girl Friday, too, obviously. Yeah, an adaptation. The, the Muppet the...
3: movie, Short Circuit, Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, My Cousin Vinny. Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, isn't that that movie? The uh Newman-Woodward uh, movie. Yeah, that uh, James Ivory movie. Yeah. yeah. My Cousin Vinny, Amistad, A Beautiful Mind, Finding Nemo. You know who else was in Finding Nemo was actually uh, Eric Sullivan. So a lot of Finding Nemo people hanging oh, wow. out. Literally right after that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I actually kind of like his character, but yeah, it is kind of annoying. Um,
2: he just looks annoying is the yeah. thing with me. I don't know. He's yeah. just like a hanger-on. Like He's like yeah. the bug on the windshield. You keep thinking it's going to disappear and you yeah. keep moving it. So but... maybe we'll come
3: back to that in a little while. Um. So yeah, he was uh, okay. So then there's Tom Poston as Father Zabriskie, who this was his last role. Okay, I think he's actually most famous for being on Newhart. Okay, um, as like the kind of opposite character to New Bob Newhart. Uh, he was in a lot of like old, movies. well, actually not Skirts Ahoy, his first movie. Well, Skirts Ahoy, walk on. <laughs> it's a walk on, uncredited. Yeah. <laughs> Um, old dark house remake, Cold Turkey. That's a movie I always wanted to see. All of you remember that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's fun. Carbon Copy. Looks like he was on more TV. TV. Oh yeah, I'm not even going to go through all this. It's all the same stuff you already know. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. we're not even going through it. Anyway, he's like the. There's like a oh a funny scene where they go to the the uh, tanning bed and he's like. Nora like, yeah she's like know. oh she's
2: wearing a bikini yeah it's like right. it's almost
3: like the the scenes of uh, the way I said that reminded me of Victor Freeze in sub Zero's like, Nora Nora
2: <laughs> but yeah and it's like ooh he's looking her up and down like or she's yeah. like feels embarrassed that the priest is seeing her like this yeah. or
3: whatever Kim Rhodes as Luther's employee I don't know nothing she's Sweet Life on Cody Sweet Life Zach, Zach and Cody, Cody Sweet Life on Dick um <laughs> vernie watson johnson is doc Luther's employee also not really sure welcome back cotter i guess i don't know arden mirin is daisy i don't know we're gonna go through these quicker here renee Levon. Patrick Breen, Carolyn Ray, Felicity Huffman. Carolyn Ray
2: was known as, uh, she was on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, yes. I remember. Yeah, I remember her in that. And whatever. Felicity
3: Huffman, of course, and a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Kevin Chamberlain, well, the most famous Huffman that I'm aware of. Well, she's uh, you
2: know yeah. she's married to, right?
3: I don't remember. William H. Macy. Him. Oh, that's right, because that so was the thing. I think the they whole, got caught up in the whole yeah, college scandal yeah, thing. Yeah, right. Uncle Fester in the Addams Family. Oh, there was a show. Okay, so Kevin Chamberlain. I think I've seen him in something specific Die Hard with a Vengeance in and out in and out letters from a killer Swayze <laughs> yes yes uh, Road to Perdition I feel like I've seen him on some TV show at some point I don't remember what it is Uh, he's in it as like Guy Selling Christmas Trees Outer Range oh that show yeah 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 alright yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. John Shore and David Hornsby. I looked this up last night. David Hornsby is randomly the cousin of Bruce Hornsby. Oh, okay. It's like his kids. Good Mark enough. Christopher Lawrence. He was in... Oh, yeah. He's in uh, Terminator 2. I remember him in that. mm mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, he's like the neighbor that they take the tree from in that one scene. Uh, and my favorite character in the movie, David Lander... As tanning intruder, he was Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley. Many people would recognize. There's that scene in the. There's a lot of stuff in the tanning bed that's going on randomly, but like there's that scene where like the doors unlocked and she's in the tanning bed. and He's like, whoa, sorry, like yeah. you know. <laughs> just, this was the golden era of the, the
2: tanning bed. I remember when yeah, tanning beds were big back more oh, so yeah. in the '90s and 2000s. Yeah, than they, they were, were a now. big deal. I don't even know, but I guess. There's still there's still a thing but, now, but there's a lot more people that are wary of them or right, don't want to use them. They should be, yeah. Trish Trogdon is Wes's wife, by the way, Rachel Rachel L. Smith. So, <laughs> anyway. but the, again, let's see what we got here on the uh, outline here. Vacation and during the holidays dot 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 a cardinal sin that this movie treats it as such.
3: Yes, well, and I want I want to that's something a lot of people do, like we said. But it used to be it was like we'll go to Europe. Right, mm-hmm. I mean that's Home Alone, right? Yeah. Oh, we'll go to Paris. We'll spend holiday in Paris. But you take the whole family, right? That's yeah. all I do. Then you have a whole situation like what we did about like fifteen years ago or more. Right around like, this time uh, is that we went to Disney World the few days after Christmas. So we had Christmas, then we went, like
2: you know, Over the next day. I think so.
3: Yeah. So like that stuff happens a lot. But this whole movies, like, oh no, they're going to the Caribbean and they're gonna go on Christmas Day and they're not gonna celebrate Christmas at all and so yeah there's an inherent like paganism to that I mean and I
2: don't think this is necessarily a bad thing but just something that's a little strange in the movie is don't you think it's weird that like this family is being held up as the gold standard of oh wait a minute we come to your house for Christmas, is like, well, why aren't you all with your families? Like, why are you going to a neighbor's house? Yeah. And again, I think that just depends on the well, context of the community. Well, I think part of that speaks but. to
3: the films, or just in general, rather, society's expectations of Christmas. Well, you've always done this, and people get bored and into these traditions that they expect all these things, and if they don't get them, they freak out, yeah. like, you know... Um, and it's like, yeah. Oh my God, it's always a tradition. Like, who would want to hang out with the cranks at Thanksgiving? I, I mean, I'm sorry at Christmas, let yeah. alone Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. So, and I the, think
2: it does speak to that generational thing that happens again with a lot of parents of a certain age when their kids move out, and they're like, "Well, Christmas isn't the same for us," especially if they don't have grandkids yet. So it's like, "Well, why don't we just do something different?" And oh, wait a minute, you can't do that. Yeah. Like, you know, well, it would
3: be fine if they did some other things. Right, you know, yeah. but, like, he's like, nope, full ban, full, full boycott.
2: Like, yeah, I mean, he yeah. does go a little hard line about it. Yeah. So much so that you wonder if he's resented Christmas all these years, and now yeah, he's well, like... Yeah, he's like, look at all this money. Like, yeah. It's all this money that we spent, like, you know. <laughs> um,
3: but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, and, like, that makes sense to a certain extent of, oh, I want to go on a trip... But then it becomes about oh we're gonna get rid of all this stuff and it's like do any of those things have to do with Jesus by the way oh well
2: yeah
3: we're gonna I want to talk about that more with the next movie yeah especially that yeah, one, yeah. but yeah but, yeah, yeah it's like oh none of those thi- yeah because it's like oh are we gonna get I will say this the one thing that they give money to is some charity yeah I actually like that that the movies like, oh no yeah we'll still do the charity okay
2: mm-hmm. but everything else we're done yeah you, know. you but, would I mean you know again. I think the community acts way absurd and over the line. Yeah. And again, fascist is the word you used uh, for this, you know. But at the same time, again, Tim Allen he draws this big line in the sand too, where it's like, well, we're not doing any of these things. It's like, well, you wouldn't do anything leading up to it, not even for everybody else, but even just for yourself. I don't know, right. you know But yeah, you know. yeah, and like that's what's funny about. I mean, you're this either with us movie. or you're with the terrorists, right? Era. I mean,
3: and it it feels very much like I mean, it, like. Literally, those scenes early on where it's like, "Oh, I hear you're not doing Christmas.
2: How come you're doing?" And that? And it's
3: like, "How come <laughs> you're doing that?" Yeah, like, but and there's this whole like, all those scenes literally reek of fascism. That's literally what fascism is. Like, honestly, if I could teach that to kids, if they're like, "What is fascism?" I would literally be like,
2: "Watch this. Watch these scenes." I mean, from this movie's Christmas only with the two cranks, or three like, degrees removed from the monsters are due on Maple Street, yeah, Twilight Zone like, episode, yeah. you know.
3: And just that idea of, oh, well, you're not doing this thing that we all do, and you need to do that, and we're not going to feel complete unless you do that. That's literally what fascism is, of like, that whole idea of you all need to conform, mm-hmm. and if you don't do that, you will be publicly shamed and or executed, literally. Terminated, like, and, yeah. Yeah, and so, um, in that way, like I said, I feel like the movie, the kernel of the movie is a great idea, and I feel like if you would have done it genuinely, it would be a little more interesting. Um, but it just becomes a PG comedy, ultimately. Which is strange for a movie that in the opening scenes, when he decides that he is going to do this, that they're going to have sex on the kitchen table is the implication that she is getting from that.
2: Right, yeah. It
3: isn't even Saturday Night like. <laughs> Live from New York. It's Saturday Night like, you know.
2: If only Dan Ackerl would have ran in and said that yeah, early on. What could have been. We already answered the question. We had we had written this down in the outline. Was uh, his daughter worth the hassle? I don't think so. No. Again, I admire her work in the Peace Corps, uh, but and the, there's the that fact scene, the whole community just stops. There's a scene for where her. Austin
3: Pendleton is in it early on, and he's like, "Oh, Blair, yes, yes, Blair." Yeah. It's very much like, "Oh, she's definitely on the nice list." It's just like, "Give me a effing <laughs> break!" Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, I mean. And do, okay, do you want to talk a little bit about this whole Austin Pendleton thing, or, or do we want to say more about Blair? I feel like we've talked. To, I feel like yeah, Blair, done Blair has him. been talked about enough. We're gonna move yeah. on from that. All right. So again, Austin, I want you to explain this. What your whole thoughts on this are again?
2: Because I'm so still again, Austin about Pendleton it is Marty, part. yes, uh, who turns out to actually be Santa Claus. Okay, so I have a random beef with movies about Santa. That okay, so. In the world of the narratives. Yes. That in the reality of the narrative, like Santa Claus is actually real. Yes. But there's always like adults who doubt this. Oh, Santa's not real. Presumably because they were told Santa was real as a kid, but then as in our real reality, parents or whoever eventually say, you know what, Santa's not real. That's a thing, a little myth we played with to make you appreciate the holiday season or make it fun yeah. and then so like all of us the characters are like okay fine they grow up and of course they wouldn't believe Santa was real because they were told Santa was not real but then in these movies I can think of a bunch of them let's see um, oh, well the Santa Claus movies to an extent where like say Judge Reinhold's character who is the like you know the new husband to the ex-wife of Tim Allen's character. Of like him being told Santa, oh, actually I'm Santa Claus now. Santa's real. I'll be like Santa's not real, and then like being proven wrong, yeah, or miracle thirty, fourth yeah. street, or elf, or elf whatever. is another one. Yeah. Like right. I said, um, so like whatever happened in these movies where if Santa's really, really real in them, why they were told Santa is not real anymore? Because they all deal with this idea that... Well, are you saying that because
3: it's like there's the whole question of, well, then where did the presents come from if you didn't buy them? Is that what you're kind of talking about? Well, like
2: presumably, like the presents would have come from the parents admitting Santa's not real.
3: So then Then what does Santa do?
2: Right. Right. Uh, and, And then you think, okay, so the parents are telling kids Santa's not real. Was Santa really real to them? I don't know. It's just a logical thing. And I know a lot of people listening to this right now saying, who cares? It's just a movie. It's just a narrative. I don't necessarily think this is a real problem with the narratives. I'm not saying that. It is just, and again, I don't really get caught up in a lot of these logical things in movies. I just kind of usually accept it. Oh, it's movie logic, yeah. whatever. But this is just something that kind of gets on my nerves because it's like, specifically with, like, with Elf, it's like, you know, Santa's sleigh is powered by People's belief in Santa Claus, you know, it's like it's like if the belief's strong, then the. Sl- the it's actually a fly, good idea. That know, movie overall is pretty. It's, it's good. fine. Yeah, yeah, it's whatever. good, but not.
3: I don't love it as much as other people
2: do, but. And it's, it's like a religion, You know, that's a I movie mean, that yeah. we have seen over the course of our lives become a Christmas classic yes, too. I mean, I remember yeah. when it was a new movie yeah, that we just came it. out. Yeah, and, uh,
3: and it's yeah. good, but yeah. I mean, it. You know, yeah, that's a kind of random. Yeah, but yeah, so I think what I think I understand what you're saying now is like. So they believed as a kid that they were that he was real. But well, then, then they were told
2: by their parents Santa's not real. But
3: then they they eventually learned
2: that he is real. So then it's like, and, well, who's... Where is... Why is and this And why happening? are the people lying? Right. Yeah. And, and right. He's, this is just another version of this. Yeah. Honestly, it doesn't even play with this concept in this movie as much as it could have. Right. You know, it's just kind of, oh, by the way, he's Santa. <laughs> it's just kind of yeah. thrown in there ultimately. It's just like, okay, whatever. Uh but that, I don't know, that, again, that's not a real criticism. And he can like, speak Spanish, in it's uh, right, which of course yeah. he would be able to if he were Santa Claus. But, but I, I yeah. don't think this is a real problem. Like, it, it doesn't make the movie worse or anything, or any of those movies worse. It's just a logical thing I've always scratched my head at. Just like, okay, so if they don't believe Santa's real, because presumably he's not, and then it's proved he is, who told them he wasn't real, and then why did they do that? You know what I mean? I, I just don't quite get it. Maybe one day there'll be a Christmas movie that actually answers this question. Uh, I don't know, uh, but again, I know it's just like an archetypal thing that's just done. Uh, but I don't know. I'm just yeah. confused by it. Yeah, I don't get it either.
3: I guess now that you kind the of the ultimate. Uh,
2: you know, uh, the the you know we should remember that the author of The Ultimate, uh, that's how I found out that uh, there was no Santa Claus, it was Chris Columbus himself in Gremlins, that whole monologue that Phoebe Cates' character gives. One of the most horrific things to ever be described or elaborated on in a Christmas movie in any way. And I'm talking about somebody who's seen Black Christmas, too. But, yeah. uh, again, that's one of the most disturbing aspects of that whole movie, Gremlins, you know, is that whole yeah. sequence. Yeah, but, something. Anyways, final thoughts on Christmas with the Cranks. Uh, I think, again... Bad, but benign. But a very light bad that
3: has, I think, some very interesting things. And and, and a kernel and, of a good idea. Right, but doesn't follow through on any of it, though. Yeah. Totally. Like it could. Right. So, yeah. All right. It's actually not. I actually kind of like it in its own way, surprisingly. Well, but, we liked it even more after this yes. next movie. I think that's part of it, is that we watched it, and we it was were like, like yeah, hey. and then we saw this, and we were like, oh my god, <laughs> that is like The Godfather compared to this. I mean, this is, I'm not even just saying this. This I'm is gonna, the Tokyo
2: story i this podcast to Christmas this.
3: I'm going to say this now, before we even get started, this is quite literally one of the worst movies I've ever seen, is Deck the Halls.
2: Well, we said this already, um... It's the worst movie we've talked about on this podcast as a featured uh, subject. But don't
3: let us tell you. Let the trailer go ahead and clue you in to how bad it is. Here is the trailer for Deck the Halls.
0: In the peaceful town of Cloverdale... Dr. Stephen Finch was Mr. Christmas. This is
4: a busy time of year, so we have to have a game plan. All must sing caroling requests to be submitted in writing. Until the competition moved in. Who moves in the middle of the night? I'm Buddy Hall. We just moved in across the street.
3: These are my babies. Can I live here? (laughs) Daddy, come look! You can see every house in the country from space.
0: Where's our house?
3: You can't see our house. Just
4: hoping that one day I'd do something big. Buddy. Around here, I'm the Christmas guy. I don't think so.
0: Now they're going head to head.
4: Watch and learn.
0: For the holidays.
4: Oh. That's gonna swell up.
0: But the holidays.
4: You got the next five years of trees all lined up. How'd you like to chop it down with my chainsaw? Might not be big enough. There is smell gas. For the both of them. I guess I'm the new Christmas guy. This isn't over yet. You're gonna cut his power, aren't you? SpongeBob, this is SquarePants. What's mm. This is the best Christmas ever. We're gonna settle this like men. They're acting like a bunch of 12-year-olds. You want lights? I'll give you lights. Uh, oh, gosh. Oh. You sure you've been watering that thing? It went up awfully fast. This November, you're going to stand here and you're going to work it out. Now that is something we could agree on. Hey, baby, who's your daddy? Dad? Oh, God. I'm your daddy. I'm your daddy.
0: Regency Enterprises presents Danny DeVito.
4: I really want my house to be seen from space. Matthew Broderick. I like the way you've duct-taped the antlers to their heads. Apparently, reindeer are not indigenous to the region. Whoa! I didn't see that coming.
0: In the brightest Christmas
4: story ever... Santa! He's real! I knew it! Oh, boy! That could have ended badly. Deck the holes. Where are my clothes? I had to get your body temperature up, so I zipped this into the sleeping bag. Trust me, it works. (laughs)
3: Now, if you told what me on about paper that too, is yeah. that it's like the
2: guy, like, Deck the Halls. Yeah. That voice is like very like two thousands. If movie you told voice. me on paper that the movie that had Matthew Broderick and Danny DeVito in it was going to be the worst movie, yeah, of the two, I'd be like, really? I don't know, but wow, yeah, wow. I want this to prompt actually a randomly a bigger discussion to Matthew Broderick, who I've got some questions yeah. about. What's Deck the Halls about, Leo? give us the deets. Oh, Lord.
3: All right. Deck the Halls is a 2006 American Christmas comedy travesty old film. Sorry. <laughs> Directed by John Whitesell, who is a friend of the pod, uh, director of "Sea spot Run. So I don't know Which what. Which seems
2: like, you know, like uh, umbrellas are shareboard compared to oh, this. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean. <laughs> yeah.
3: Written by Matt Corman, Chris Ord, and Don Reimer. And starring Dane DeVito, Matthew Broderick, Kristen Davis, Kristen Chenoweth. Look at that picture of Matthew Broderick, by the way. Is that, like, Peele. from the late 80s or early 90s, maybe? I don't know. It looks like he's way too young for what he would be. 2012, are you kidding me? Really? Yes.
2: He looks younger
3: than he did in this movie, in that, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, he does, yeah. It's the glasses, I think, yeah. part of it. Uh, released November 22nd, 2006. Probably the second worst thing to ever happen on November 22nd. Maybe actually the worst. I was I thinking that when I saw that. Re- I, <laughs> well, I don't know if we said anything yeah. about that.
2: No, we did, actually, I think. Yeah, yeah but I, I, when I saw the release date, I was like, wow, this is the second worst thing to happen on that day. Yeah, you all know? right. Um,
3: maybe even the worst. <laughs> right. No, I know. Objectively. <laughs> yeah, 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 but really. Uh, all right, so this movie. Okay, so what you know what I love about this is it doesn't even have a summary at the top. So no, no, I'm yeah. just going to have to explain it. So it's basically about like Matthew Broderick in Cloverdale, living in Cloverdale, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, as a dentist, or no, sorry, an eye doctor. Even better, he's the Christmas guy. Okay. Yeah. He Christmas is like his thing. <laughs> he owns the. Can holiday. you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I, I was just gonna pull up the. Quink. No, I know. The, I, this is just the yeah, the sentence long
2: description. Yeah. Two neighbors have it out after one of them decorates his house for the holidays so brightly it can be seen from space. That right there, one of them decorates. It's not even like he's trying to compete right. and do that no, too. no, Which is like this narrative yeah. inertness this movie suffers from. Right, Because there glows the neighborhood. I yeah. mean, yeah. that's the name. But get back to uh, Matthew Broderick's He's the Christmas guy. He, yeah, nobody can...
3: He do- literally has like his own area his own like little domain
2: at the christmas tree farm that he grows christmas trees. That is trees. one of the most randomly absurd things in this movie is like he so there's the christmas tree farm and he goes and they have a special section for him. It's, like, yeah, and it's why? like and he's
3: growing like 5 years worth of trees already. Yeah. And like the way he's walking up like a little prissy boy <laughs> with the like axe that he's going to cut down like, one well, of on them. This that time is of like, again. Look at me and my my ape, Special area, like you know. I mean, is Danny this, DeVito. It's like you literally killed someone in a car crash, huh? We'll How about that. that? We'll get to that as later. Mel Gibson uh, would say,
2: Danny DeVito. But, like yeah. you, you like. We like Danny DeVito. We love Danny yes. DeVito. But like, it's the movie wants us to root against his character, right?
4: Like, yeah, it, it yeah.
2: wants to present him as like the villain of sorts. But Matthew Broderick is like downright very unlikable in this movie. So much so, like, who's your said, daddy? <laughs> <laughs>
3: hey, who's your daddy? <laughs> like, but, uh, literally
2: sounds like a five year old. I'm your like, daddy. I'm uh, your daddy.
3: Like, I'm your daddy. Oh, we're going to hell. Oh, like, <laughs> please. But, like,
2: the okay. only time that church is ever mentioned, by the way. All right, so let's get into yeah. this. Let's go through the cast. Matthew Broderick. This is the biggest discussion to have about this movie. I Buddy feel like- Hall. No, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Dr. Steve Finch. But I feel like holds. when you say Matthew Broderick what do you first think of? Ferris Bueller's Ferris Day Off. Bueller's Day but off, you know what course, I also
3: like, actually think of are the uh and I'm not Lonergan just saying this the Kenneth Lonergan movies which I feel like is a big part of his whole career honestly I mean like And uh, well
2: he's specifically just, I mean what, <laughs>
3: what do you want to go ahead and say it? Yeah. From that scene and you you can count on me. Yeah. Uh there's that scene in that movie where like he's the bank owner and he has this like weird relationship with uh Holly Hunter is that her name? I always get her mixed
2: up with. Uh, no, oh, what? Wait! Oh gosh, I'm gonna feel so stupid when I can't remember this name. Um, we'll get it there anyway.
3: Where the main character in that movie, yeah, uh, who is Laura Linney? Laura Linney. Yeah, I knew it was
2: another alliterative name. Yes. is what I was. Uh,
3: yeah, so Laura Linney's character is like. Has a, some weird affair with her, and then she's like, "Oh, starting to make demands at the job she works at a bank." Yeah, <laughs> he's he's like, "Well, just take over the whole bank, why don't you?"
2: <laughs> it sounds like literally a characterization greatest, in a Christmas play, no, a church Christmas play. It's almost. literally him, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, his, him and Margaret is a kind of guys. Funny, what but, are we doing? But, yeah, so he's yeah. like a English teacher in that. I think he's genuinely really good in that movie, and the way that that movie positions him, that that character's relation to the narrative. Right. I, I think he's genuinely really good in. Yeah. It. Meanwhile, him uh, or Kenneth Lonergan in that movie
3: is like the dad's. Like, oh, hey, yeah, um, how are you? <laughs> like, uh, I clearly don't want to be talking to you. Um, uh, by the way, also him in Man, You Can Count on Me, where he's like the priest or whatever, and there's that scene where he's talking to Mark Ruffalo, and he's like. Now I am not what you would call Mr. Successful, but what I am, just, <laughs> we love Kenneth Largan like oh, a yeah. lot. I gotta say so, yeah, it's just hilarious. But his whole and then him also in Manchester by the Sea, where he's like, "Hey, what are you doing? Hey, why are you talking to him like that or whatever?" Yeah. He's like, "Hey, f you!" <laughs> They're childhood They're my, friends, I think. Yeah. They but anyway, yeah, that's so he's been in a lot of his movies, but. Yeah, it's weird because Matthew Broderick has entered a whole phase of his career that he's continued to be in where it's like, you know, he was like, ooh, the cool kid, like, you know, in, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But then quickly became a middle-aged, fuddy-duddy weirdo. Now, a movie like Election is
2: the perfect yes moment and distillation of that. Because yes. that narrative uses that to its... Executive? Period. Legislative? judicial. Do you ever feel like that? Oh, no, way? literally. Well, yeah, I've taught like, civics for the first time yeah. this semester, yeah. and there was a time or two where I, I didn't have that on the board exactly like that, but I was talking about them, yeah. and I didn't bring it up to the kids, of course, cause they I have no clue what this movie is. But I was thinking about, oh my god, I'm like that character now, which yeah. I'm not at all. I'm not, right. I'm not rigging high school elections in that.
3: Or but, like having affairs with women, or like feeling like on the side of your friend who had an affair with a student. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of actually... That might actually be randomly one of the most evil characters in any movie ever, is Matthew Broderick in that movie. Because he faces some consequences for his actions, but never
2: learns from them. Ultimately. I'm a huge fan of Election. Right. We actually I yeah. actually have an idea of a double feature with that and something oh, later, okay. so we're probably going to talk about yeah. that movie more in depth later. Right. But that and The Cable Guy, which we've talked about a while back on this yeah. pod, are both really great. Like, what can we do with this version of Matthew Broderick? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This version... Is just the total wet blanket. Like, like, and again, we're like, when I say, like, we are like, me and you, and this, the lifestyles we lead are, would be labeled conservative, like, lifestyles, not yes, conservative yeah. politically, no. but like, we go to church, we abstain from alcohol and drug use, like, you know. There's something about Matthew Broderick and some of these movies like this, especially this one, yeah. where it's like, okay, we are a version of this world, or this kind of mm-hmm. or could be a version of this man in the future. But the overwhelming lameness of him, the overwhelming like ability to like claim a holiday as his own and like be all uh, He's prissy an and a-hole, mad and, and a-hole yeah, conceited, right. yeah. like. And not in a way that's all that like compelling. It's not like, it's not like a what about Bob situation where it's like, um, we got Bill Murray and oh, uh, Richard Dreyfuss' character. How Richard Dreyfus is like the normal guy, but actually it's revealed as the you know psychotic, like actually more unhinged than Bill Murray character. Like it, it just makes him look mean and just like, um, just waste of space, yeah. and not really all yeah. that much charisma poured into no. this role. No. And again, I feel like there's a certain inertness with this Broderick appeal, which is, I will say, downright shocking to me that this is the same person who played Ferris Bueller, one of the most lovable, charismatic, like, uh, and I know you have your whole idea about how lovable Ferris Bueller is, and I would mostly agree well, with but that. Well, but the movie's but like, great,
3: and, like, the point of, yeah, I mean, but that fits that movie, I think, that character, like, yeah, I'm, but...
2: But yeah, like really Fierce Bueller is right. so unassuming, so cool, and it's like it's its own random reflection on like latter gen X or early Gen X that this is what happened with that well, generation. Strangely of man, I feel like know? it
3: happened with the cable guy or some other movies in the nineties where it's like, Oh, let's make Matthew Broderick be that, but then he became that and that's always been since then. Again, you know, where I think cable he guy. Got strangely type cast or... then typecast again, but that has stuck.
2: Right. Like the opposite, like say. So yeah. again, he is just so unlikable in this movie, which yeah. again the movie wants us to well, root said, against. Like with uh, the election,
3: but, and this is because it's a uh, Alexander Payne making an adaptation of a Tom Parada novel. So we've got a lot of great minds putting themselves together here. Yeah. Uh. You know, unlike the three screenwriters, <laughs> this movie has who can't figure a daggum thing out about
2: it. Ever. Well, I remember when we um, first saw that in like, the beginning. Yeah. we were like, uh oh. And that already yeah. we're like, all right, this is gonna be Yeah. Garbage. Who's your daddy? Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean but
2: um but yeah, the fact that um And again, Lonergan, his version of Matthew Broderick, like he kinda sees this too, but he's like Yeah, he's Lonergan, but with the, the right it's like the same sort of performance but it's a lot more
3: unassuming, but he is so compelling, even when he's unlikable. Oh, yeah. Is, is so interesting.
2: And, well, and, like and that's like, a character that's more like... And more realistic. Like, and morally yeah. fraught and right. like, on paper, a good guy, but actually like, no. pretty horrific, awful yes. person. But yeah. this just, this in theory is that, but it's just like, but there's, <laughs> yeah. but again, it's rated PG. Right. And so, weirdly, in a PG movie like this, when you do those kind of qualities, <laughs> it almost comes off as more shrill yeah. Then if you made the R-rated, like more yeah. human, compelling version of these, you just know, thinking this of character. different parts from Election, that part of the dad's like fed up, fed up off screen, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: and then that scene where he's like gonna go have that whole affair, and he gets stunned on yeah. the eye, and he's like, "Ow!" <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, it makes a big deal
2: out of yeah. it. Um, and you know, in Cable Guy, he's obviously, he's more like straight-laced kind of guy, but he's playing against, he's the foil to Jim Carrey's insanity, you know what I mean? And in this, he's apparently like, he's the foil to Danny DeVito, but it, it... it's just not a good match. Like They should have had, I think Matthew Broderick's, even though it weirdly fits into all these other things yeah. we've said, weirdly yeah. miscast. Well, and
3: we've talked, to, go back to Margaret for a second. We were actually talking about this just the other day. I mean, and we've talked about this a lot, but how that scene in the movie, uh, there, he's a teacher in that too. There's a scene in the movie where a student is giving him a reading of the poem, of what they think the poem's about. And he's like, no, that is not at all what this is about. This is what it's about. And the kid's like, well, uh, it plays all cool. And that a lot of people walk away from that movie thinking, oh, the kid's right. And Kenneth Larkin's like, no, actually the teacher's right. But what I think and so, what I think so interesting about that is that Lonergan can make us feel this contempt for the teacher and, and for being because of Matthew Broderick's performance is that he's so lame. Come on, and guys! As you said earlier, Like you said yeah. that moment where he's in the middle of all that and he's like drinking his cup. Well, of he's tea, got like. Well, like, it's like I think it's
2: like a little like orange juice, like kind of yeah. uh, school thing, right. but it's got a straw out of it. Yeah. so Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I know, it looks so he's dumb talking, and yeah. pathetic, and right. it makes us like go, "Wow, this guy." Yeah, like, and like, would've, but but would've with deserved.
3: both election, this you can count on me, and uh, Manchester by the Sea, you see that person, and you know exactly who that person is. It's like it's and and I feel like we think more about that because, like you said, it feels like people we know, or like even versions of ourselves, in its own way. But like I said. So, it's just, he has such a strange career. It's literally one of the weirdest. Well, don't you think that this movie,
2: in theory, is trying to use that screen persona, but it's just not well-suited, ultimately. Who's your daddy? (laughs) I'm just going to keep saying that at this point. uh, Uh, I mean, it at least got us the moment in cinema history for him in that voice to say that. uh, SpongeBob to SquarePants. Okay, SquarePants.
3: And again, the
2: part of the narrative inertment of this movie is that, like... He's more trying to sabotage his neighbor than, like, compete with the neighbor. Yes. That just doesn't really work. Right. Narratively, I don't know. Well, and and it's more
3: realistic, I think, in its own way. Yeah. To just be, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, both of these movies should have been made with a more seriousness to them. But also, if you do it that way, the same movie that we have here, you get Cable Guy again. That's ultimately what you get. Now, I mean, I, even though it's about something different, you're still getting the insane, well, crazy Batman I think, villain I think that, against yeah. Matthew Broderick. I know? do think
2: that this calls more for an R version than even the last yeah, one did. I think it could. You know, yeah. um, let's talk let's, about Danny DeVito a little yeah. bit, too. Well, okay, here, so though.
3: Danny is Buddy Hall. You can take Toe Jam Day! <laughs> You take the lead on DeVito here. Well, we
2: love Danny DeVito. Yeah. He's been around for yeah. forever. Uh, Don't
3: love him in these new Jersey Mike's. Uh, <laughs> Jer- Jersey Mike's a sub above, as he says.
2: Uh, No. Not We've in not night. really watched hardly any It's Almost Sunny in Philadelphia. I know a lot of recent it's generations. Always, it's
3: almost sunny. It's always sunny in Philadelphia.
2: Is that what I said? No, you said It's Almost oh. Sunny. That's oh. what I, I like that oh. better. That would be even better. It's Almost Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> But um, a lot of more younger generations, they mostly associate him with that. Love Dane DeVito. Um, I think he's... Director I think, Matilda. Yeah. And and uh, Throw off from the Train. <laughs> and War, War of the, the Roses, Roses. And, which is just so random. He was a good director. Yeah. I mean, he made yeah. some good movies. Uh, Hoffa.
3: I mean, not Hoffa a bad any, movie, i got to say. F your brother. I mean, <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who's your daddy? I mean... <laughs>
2: Which, again, I'm going to find any opportunity not to talk about this movie that I can. Yes. Uh, very famously, PTA was taking a screenwriting class and like took a scene out of Hoffa and just like took the name off of it and like turned it in as a screenwriting assignment. It was, and uh, it yeah, got David like a, a C-, and yep. he's like, well, if this got a C-, then I'm leaving. This all sucks. Well, David Mamet, who has uh, really fallen from grace. Which, again, here. there's the time where he was a yeah you know, good quality writer. but um, Well, he's made it personal towards us that's Again, all I'm But yes yeah, um, and you know what we're talking about if you know anything about us but, uh, but it's totally with ridiculous with, uh, anyway sorry I'm just uh, I think DeVito is the right how, by
3: the way just a second do you remember how bad House of Games was no. that movie literally sucked so bad and it has like, like this
2: reputation yeah, right. and I'm like wow
3: literally I saw everything in that movie coming from a mile away Yeah, it's just like oh it thought I was the mark if you can but yeah. no that movie's so bad <laughs> screw David
2: Mamet anyway uh, anyways, DeVito, I think he's like mostly right for this role. Yeah. Uh, the problem is he doesn't have somebody to play off. I mean, yeah. who knows? Like, You could have even went older with this, with the Broderick part, and got like a Christopher Lloyd. They've worked together in yeah. the past. I mean, you know, like something that just invites more of a... You need a, to turn off all your lights. You need like, to turn off your lights. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Turn that life off, babe. Yeah. Like. The top your, one of the top one percent says you need to no. turn your light off. Who's your daddy? Like, you know. <laughs> the Green New Deal let, means you need to turn your light off, but uh, but I think he's right for this. But his like him and Kristen Chenoweth is a couple. What are we doing with? And that? It's like you oh, know? he was
3: hanging around watching her be painted nude. Yeah, but, and it's just like again, and then his daughters are like these sex pots too. And again, these twin this, daughters, this is like.
2: something very strange happens with like movies like this that are PG, yeah. but then they go for these moments and gags, and it's like, what are we doing with this? Like, who is this for? Like, if you're gonna go that way, go ahead and make it PG thirteen or R. But this whole like, oh, it's PG, but then it's got this stuff, this suggestive yeah. stuff in it. I just don't get it all. Um, yeah, you know. Yeah. and again, like Christian Chenoweth in general is, uh, I think she's, um, mostly right for the role that's here. But her and Devito together is, I don't know, is yeah. It seems Can we very go back strange. to the "Who's
3: Your Daddy" moment, yeah. like genuinely, first, like genuinely, let's talk about "Who's Your Daddy" moment. Yeah.
2: Who is your daddy? Who's Who your father? Oh,
3: like look out, yeah. you know, senior moment. Who's your daddy? <laughs> moment. Um, the part in that though, the whole implicitness of that is they go to this. Christmas dance competition whatever the hell it is.
2: Yeah.
3: Okay. So they go there and like their impulse to get along is to be like, let's be these lecherous old men. Yeah, right. That's their like that's their like common ground. Right. He's like, Ah come on, you can get into this. He's like, Yeah, like and it's just (laughs) like and they say all these things in front of the whole town. This is even before they know it's their daughter. It's already weird. Yeah, you'd think specifically Broderick. He'd have this reputation to protect, and he's just like, (laughs) like, like he ain't getting enough sleep, I guess, because of the lights, So he's totally lost his deed mind. Like, but that he's just like, literally, like, oh yeah, (laughs) who's your daddy? (laughs) And just that whole and literally saying that out in public. That's just like a whole other level of disgust and depravity. Yeah. That I feel like the movie itself does not comment. Like, like it was fine until it was their kids, right? You know what I mean? Oh right, yeah, right. Uh, absolutely. And, right. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, oh, it yeah. could be somebody else's daughter, and I'll talk that way. Right. But when it's and, mine- and the movie says that. That's yeah. what the movie's implicitly saying. Yeah, this is a PG movie.
2: Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, okay, so the the DeVito Shocking. character. Yeah. Well,
3: actually, I want to come back to that in a bit when we talk about yeah, that. their relationship. And, okay. And, and yeah. But, okay, so let's go through the cast real quickly here, because there isn't much else to say. Kristen Davis is Kelly Finch, literally a nothing burger of she's all time. She's in Sex and the City. Sex yeah. and the City, primarily, literally has nothing to do... Because she's not even like Jamie Lee Curtis in... Christian with the Crane. She gets a lot of screen time. And that that movie
2: inherently gives her more situations and actually cares about her more as a character. But Christian Chenoweth is Tia Hall,
3: randomly a whole aspect of her in the movie is that she has this uh, specific heirloom vase... That is a lot like the weird doll in Home Sweet Home Alone, it reminds me of, of like there's a lot of money that can be made off this MacGuffin, basically.
2: Yeah. Well, don't you think, feel um, like it's setting that up as some real, real, real big thing, and it's like barely yeah. a plot point in the fact of DeVito like what sells it to get more money to pay for the lights or whatever, yeah, right. but ultimately is not nearly exactly the MacGuffin you think it's going right. to be. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then it's funny how like
3: she and Kristen Davis immediately get along, and they're like, "Oh, they're both acting like children." Like, they, there is one
2: line that is kind of funny in the movie. They said something like, uh, "Why can't they just be passive aggressive and smile like uh, like us or something?" I don't know if yeah. it's something along the lines of like, "Oh, yeah, we maybe really don't like each other, but at least on paper we're yeah. putting up with it." But better. who is your daddy? You um, know what would be more interesting? It's this. This is the same movie, but it's two women feuding. And their yeah. husbands are actually on the sidelines and actually maybe get along. On the sidelines in a cast, Yeah, as <laughs> but you know as I mean? Don like,
3: McLean once sang. It kind of shows yeah.
2: you, it's like, why couldn't women have led a movie like this? Oh, it's the dads, the husbands that compete. Women can be just as competitive over well, Christmas it's like, as it's men like can. That, this is random, but it's like in that show The
3: Gilded Age, which was on. Yeah. And it's like you used to see, I mean, you saw in that how many like we have this specific luncheon. And yeah. it's like, then the women feud over that and the and the men literally show up, smoke cigars, and are nice until their business interests get in the way. Right. And that's
2: when they literally lead each other to suicide. Mm-hmm. But anyway. But honestly, I think um, now but, that I'm realizing yeah. that I can't believe we haven't said this already, I think that's one of the central problems of the movie is this should have, maybe or could have been uh, two women... Or wives feuding, or mothers feuding, and then the whole families get caught up in that. But yeah, whatever. But the impulse is natural. Oh no, it's men have to be the leader right. of this. But. Yeah, uh, Aaliyah Shawcat as their daughter.
3: Um, she's at, been in at, lots of things as uh, Matthew Broderick's daughter. Yeah. Um,
2: Search parties. Yeah, she's recently right. on, and I, really like the first season of it. Yeah, I'm not, and then back she, and she was in more.
3: Green Room. Uh, as far back as she was in Three Kings,
2: was she um, also in um? Arrested Development. I don't. Maybe I'm thinking know. of. Go down to television. I do
3: not know. Yeah, yeah, okay. she's in a lot of that. Okay. Yeah, I think she's. She is actually. Choices. I did not know this. Uh, part Iraqi. I think I did. know um, that, yeah. yeah. So she's part Iraqi and then Norwegian, Irish, and Italian. So that's uh, her name. That would make sense. Yeah. Um. But yeah, yeah, because it says three kings, Amir's daughter, and I started thinking, oh, was she like. Uh, Middle Eastern or something. Yeah. Like, so uh Bart Got a Room. What the hell? Who's in what that? What is this? Who's all in? William H. Macy, Aaliyah Shawcat, Stephen Kaplan, Cheryl Hines. Literally look at that poster. Yeah, it's random.
2: Steve, <laughs> um, William H. Macy's like, uh, Yeah, that's that the best
3: part of it I think. Um anyway. Uh she's also in let's see, Life After Beth, one of the all time names for anything um he was big holiday nasty baby mm-hmm. you remember that yeah 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 uh 20th century women uh let say green room we mentioned uh first cow woman yeah with dog yes yeah, at the very beginning of the movie she's like you remember that yeah and like the very beginning like, oh i'm in this it's like yeah. okay um she was herself in jackass
2: forever well, okay
3: gonna be in pussy island Oh, the, the uh, Zoe Kravitz yeah, film. new Zoe yeah. Kravitz thing. All time name. She was on Jag. <laughs> Veronica Mars, Adventure Time. Anyway, um, the uh, I didn't know who she was yet. when
2: I would have seen this years ago. Yeah. Now I'm watching. Anyway, she's she, like, well, I by mean, the way, Matthew fine, Broderick's daughter.
3: And her brother is Dylan, a guy, a kid named Dylan Blue, who the, who doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. But I will look, the only other movie he's in is Patty Cakes. That movie, uh. That like oh you up though why uh female obese rapper movie or yeah, whatever from um, which ago. you know okay oh, which yeah. I randomly want to see I felt that movie I have a sneaking suspicion that that movie has a massive cult following that is very silent yeah by the way are you are you saying you want to join that cult I following? mean if it's good I'd yeah. accept it but yeah. like yeah Jorge Garcia is Wallace. Of course, was in Early Lost, Lost yeah. and was on a Weezer album cover. <laughs> That's one of the funniest things ever. Um, There's a picture of him on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to look that up real quick because because I always forget that, and then I'm like, wow, he's barely in this. At uh, the last two people I want to mention are Fred Armisen and Jillian Vigman as Gustav and Gerda, as these like. German or, like, Northern... Or, like, Scandinavian, like... Vaguely European. Just, uh, yeah.
2: Like, couple who, like, love to ice skate. Yeah. Now, but, but um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Fred Armisen and a variety of things. Hurley's the name of the album. Oh, it literally is. Okay. That, that's what it said. It, wow. That's literally the laziest
3: picture ever. Yeah. Um...
2: Wow. Um, anyway, what do you think of their characters in this movie? It's so r- so random, so ham-fisted. And again, I'm a big fan of Fran Armstrong. This is the same uh, around the same time as his character in Anchorman, if you remember. That was like, like, uh he's yeah. like, you will eat cat poop, like, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's just like, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, but that's him. And then you know? he feels bad about it. He's yeah. like, oh, it's eat yes, I don't care. A, uh,
3: get this man steak. Big right. steak for him. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. but
2: he had this whole thing of like. And still, kind of of like playing vague <laughs> at nationalities and mouth. ethnicity.
3: Moment, <laughs> yeah. Anyway,
2: uh, and it's just like I, I get, you know, he himself I think comes from uh, uh, might be like uh, Middle Eastern uh, heritage. I can't remember. Let's see, what does it say?
3: Uh, briefly lived in Brazil. It says okay. Yeah, Venezuelan. Maybe he's Venezuelan. Okay. So, and his father's part German. Uh, I don't know. It's all <laughs> really confusing. Anyway. Yeah. uh, Yeah, and then his family is kind of part of the Korean aristocracy,
2: Okay, uh, Uh, (laughs) there's an even bigger wrench and everything that I didn't uh, even know about. Right, okay. I I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) But I I like Fred Armisen in a lot of ways, but especially he's gotten better with age in terms of things he's he's been in and his own. Honestly, post-SNL, he's been better, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're big fans of him specifically being in Documentary Now, some of the characters he plays in that I really love. And I've like. i not seen all of it, but I really like what I've seen of Portlandia, and he's funny in that. So, um uh, again, he, I don't know th- th- those characters feel so. You remember just, him Jim. on Los Spookies, which got canceled was recently. Those, I know it was, Really, it's no, only no, season two.
3: It just I wanted to I watch think. that because it Well, it's at least two seasons yeah. of it. But. but there's that scene I remember. There's some scene of him like in it. I don't even know what was going on in the show. Yeah. But it was like him being interviewed, and he was like, "See, si, see," si, like that, and it just made me laugh. That show,
2: so. interestingly, like is in Spanish and in English and right. whatever the. Other languages, it gives subtitles in yeah. those scenes, right?
3: And so, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, that I want to go back and watch that. But yeah, their whole, yeah, that whole thing in this movie seems so random, so out of nowhere. You can tell it's like, oh, we need like, some, like
2: a kooky foreign characters. Yeah, like, tell, right. it just screams
3: of that. And it's um, just like okay. Anyway, last thing actually, Gary Chalk as Sheriff Dave, the cross-dressing sheriff. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Um, what else has he been in? Well, this is actually somebody else I'm looking about. To make sure I'm—that's who I think he is. Uh, he has two R's in his name, by the way. He's British-born American or British-born Canadian actor. Okay, good for you. Oh God. Um, Godzilla, the newer Godzilla. Okay. Free versus Jason. Um, I'm about to fall asleep even looking at this. <laughs> Wikipedia page. A Christmas Story Two is Santa Claus directed video uncredited. <laughs> like big time movie is MI6 agent number one. Um Power Rangers, that movie from a few years ago. Oh my god. There's something um, else. Watchman, the... military general. Wait a minute. That might be it. But Cats and Dogs Three, I didn't know there was a third Cats and Dogs. There was. We just didn't look into it. Eight below, I've seen that. Battle in Seattle. What? I don't even... What the hell is that? I don't know. Bang Bang You're Dead. Chief Bud McGee. <laughs> the Karate Dog. Cool. Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2. The New Generation of Superheroes. <laughs> what TV's he been in? Uh, Super Volcano. Um, TV. MacGyver. Oh, yeah, he was the coach in It. I think that's what I'm yeah, thinking that's of. Like, I keep yeah. trying
2: to figure out what he's He in. was on the
3: Outer Limits show, the remake of Outer Limits. Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Timothy Aloysius Dum-Dum-Dugan.
2: He kind of looks Dumb, like Dum-Dum-Dugan Dugan in the comics. Um,
3: Stargate was on that. The Dead Zone show. Uh, a bunch of Transformers dubs. Optimus Prime. Um, yeah. National Lampoon's Thanksgiving Family Reunion.
2: We should check that out sometime. Or not. Should
3: we? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Let's see who all's in that.
2: Brian John Cranston.
3: Film, Brian Cranston, Judge Reinhold, Penelope Ann Miller. Um, Gary Chalk, as we said.
2: Anyway, what do you think of this whole character in this movie? So, it's like, he's a pretty... Nothing character, but oh, by the way, he might be a cross dresser, he might be wearing women's panties. It's like, like it's yeah, because like, why do I care about any I'll of this? admit, like, there is that one moment where
3: he bends down to get something, and the women's panties fall. I literally laughed, I did think that was genuinely funny, just of the image of him doing that, and also but, just the why of yeah, it all. It's like, like, this is so dumb, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, good lord.
2: Oh, I do want to mention that's another one. thing. It's like, yeah. this is a PG movie. Yeah. If you want to be an R-rated movie, be an R-rated right. movie. There's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. You know what I mean. Yeah. But to be PG, like that was literally a like,
3: Saturday mat or Sunday matinee crowd. Got a,
2: some kids to laugh one time. Moment is what they were going for on that. Yeah, and also like there's there, there's this there's that, and then the whole thing about like Matthew Broderick like is gonna nearly freeze. And so Danny DeVito's in the back of his car with him, warming him up, and oh, they're both naked under the... Under the... um The sleeping bag. The sleeping bag together. Ooh, like, and it's just yeah. like... uh, Gay panic stuff yeah, across the right. board here. And it's just like... You know, I know we're talking about 2006, but like... Just really just shameful homophobia yeah, in both oh, of these yeah. instances yeah. in terms of just like... Gay people are weird. Gay people are freaks. Oh, are they, and It's they... Just, it's just so... Freaking stupid! It's I so mean, it, old. Yeah. It just gets old. Yeah, right? and and other than the fact that it's just
3: inherently bad, homophobic, and and... homophobic, and and just really mean spirited. Yeah. It also just gets really old. It's not it's a, funny. It's a cheap joke. It's just not funny anymore. But yeah. right? I
2: mean, and yeah, I mean, and you know, say what you will about Tim Allen's brand of humor. That's not popping up in these movies. You know, his no, movies, no, no know, not really. Been. Yeah. Um, wait a minute. What? Oh, okay.
3: Um Yeah. It's just effing dumb. This movie is so bad. (laughs) Like so let's get into talking about why some specifics. All right. So Well, we already talked about kind of that thing there, I feel like. Yeah, well one okay, so I did want to talk more in depth about Dane DeVito's character though in general, because like I said it
2: was a one sided feud. And so his whole character is like this a salesman who's like it seemed like he's really good at selling things. But he always racks up. Yeah, because there's debts, a scene where he like sells a car to the car dealer, which makes just no sense. I mean, yeah, it's just like why would he buy his own car at his He's own like, car dealership paid full ticket
3: price? Like
2: what? I feel like that's to get a cheap laugh. But again, you just think about that in any basic logical way, you're like, wait, why would he do that? It just makes no sense. Stupid. Anyways, David well, what I was gonna say is yeah. like
3: his whole character. I don't ever know how to feel towards him because, like, early on, you have these scenes between him. At first, it seems like he's well meaning and wants to get along with Matthew Broderick. But literally, five seconds later, he's like, Oh, no, I hate you. I will be the Christmas queen. Basically. <laughs> yeah. And
2: it's like.
3: It Literally, he goes back and forth on that. Well, so it's all, like, it's it,
2: like he's like, oh, this is what you love and care and passionate about? I will steal that from you. Yeah, and it's like, at first, he was just trying to be
3: nice, genuinely. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, you know what? Well, I got you a car. Oh, actually, wait a minute. That's part of this whole joke where you have to pay for the car. Then it's like, oh, wait, uh... Now And then there's the whole sequence also before that where they, like, he get, oh, why don't you take a picture in the sleigh? And then it's, oh, the horses get loose because there's a loud noise and it scares them. And there's that great moment that we mentioned where, like, Matthew Broderick is going over the road, and the car below them stops, and it stops literally so quickly you can tell it's a green screen. Oh right, right, like, yeah. But like, there's a lot of these sequences though where it's like, I never know what or how to feel towards him. Again, ever.
2: all this reeks of three riders. It's like yeah. drafts, drafts upon drafts, and they're slamming together, and there's no narrative coherence or cogency. It's just like let's just throw these and it's these a very basic. Together. It's a very basic.
3: Conflict that happens with him, this internal conflict of like, I am a small man. I must overcompensate with big lights. And that's just never very said basic exactly, and but stupid. It's, uh, right yeah, there, and it's yeah. just like, and it's like I've never been able to really do anything. I must let make my house seen from space. Like, also by the way, there would just eventually be a like. City ordinance violation over first of all energy usage and light pollution, yep. like you know, and so like that's just ridiculous, like and just makes no sense. And and like like I said, what I remembered the movie as being is that they're competing back and forth about yeah, right. who can have the best lights. No, it's just he has the lights and that's it. And then it's like it's not like Broderick's
2: trying to outdo no. him; he's just trying to sabotage right. him.
3: Then you have the whole sequence where he's like trying to sneak over there to destroy the fuse box. And Which in the trailer,
2: as you heard, it's like it's like while he's dressed up in like, oh, this Mission Impossible, like gonna go all in. It's like playing the secret agent man music. I'm sorry, if you're ever at a point where you're editing a trailer for your Christmas movie and you're realizing you're putting the secret agent man music in the trailer, you're there ought to be a fifteen alarm bells going off, yeah, like, what the right. hell is any of this? Yes. So what what like what are we doing here? Just like it just makes no sense. Like and again, this as we said reeks of three different writers trying to sham draft shove drafts together say what you will about like the failures Chris Columbus might have in Christmas with the cranks it has a it is a, clearly momentum a, one person and a vision and, right. and like it's it was clear. also based
3: on a novel right. so that helps yeah. I think but yeah like this has 15 things going on in one scene all at one time yeah none of which are good yeah like that's gonna swell up <laughs> like you know Want me to blow it up? Him, I mean, <laughs> This movie? Yeah, yeah sure, right. why not? Um, Do we want to talk about the life lessons? Oh, one thing I okay. want to talk about is how he gets to the point, it says, I love this, having had enough, Steve buys various fireworks, including the Atomic Warlord, a large illegal military-grade rocket from a gangster, and tries to destroy the Hall House. The rocket misfires setting the town Christmas tree on fire and Steve's family leaves, but not before Kelly scolds Steve for ignoring his children to focus on Buddy. Cool. So the morality, we'll get into that. I, I don't even have anything to say the about atomic any of that. Warlord. I just wanted to mention that the atomic warlord exists. Still, which somehow not as absurd as Adams family Union. So, which ending. is displayed and sold in like a gun case, like, yeah. oh, like in the pl- in the like plastic cover or whatever. Like, yeah. But anyway,
2: the morality or life lessons. So as I was saying earlier, you know, a writer like Chris Columbus, like and again, Home Alone's written by John Hughes, which is literally one of the greatest screenwriters yes. in the history of cinema. Um, you know, has a way of mostly like not making it feel as cheap and plastic as it ultimately usually is. Home Alone's not, but like yeah, because I was going to say I want to talk briefly about
3: Home Alone because we'll talk about this eventually. But I genuinely think that the old man stuff in that is genuinely really great, mm-hmm. and like I think everybody agrees with that too because uh, because that's one of those things of the movie that no matter what people think of the movie. I've never heard anybody say anything
2: bad about that section of which it, which could easily be bad. Which in be any bad. other
3: movie would be the thing somebody would talk bad well, about. Well,
2: I think what's well, good about Hughes's writing in general when he's writing young people, and yeah. obviously Kevin's even younger than like the teenagers that he's usually writing, yeah. is that he has a really great way to like write like movies about young people that isn't condescending towards young people, and that like obviously when you're a kid. You don't feel like you got to know all the details as to why he's maybe outcast from his family, um, Snowplow Man, but you get older. And you live your own life and feel in your own life experiences and that stuff isn't explicitly handed it's to you, you and you can it, understand yeah. it and read into it and know why or how that might have happened. And it, like I said, it, it
3: works because of the way he explains it to a child. It's like, well, we just don't get along. Yeah. And it's like it doesn't matter what it is. And that and yeah, like I said, it's because John Hughes is one of the greatest screenwriters ever. It's just he's just able to Engender all of this out of nothing. There's no explanation that needs to be. He shows rather than explains. It's mm-hmm. just very basic, like, yeah. you know. And the ending of the movie is really great. It's just everything about that is so great. And so which again, is even worse in the sequel Chris when it's Colum- like what the, the, the Bird Lady. The stuff. The point I'm trying to bad, make but, is
2: Chris Columbus, yeah. uh, for all his screenwriting talents, yeah. putting something to like Gremlins together, he's still working with Joe Dante right. you know, too. He's not on the level of quite with John Hughes. He was a good director. I, yeah. I guess he's still he's still directing things not anything that's been all that relevant in a while. But um, he's a step down from Hughes, but he's still at least connected to that tradition to some extent. Again, then we get down to this level, and this level is where most lame brain dumb Christmas movies reside. And again, we're not all that... Um, Caught up on the Hallmark canon, so to speak, in terms of Hallmark movies. This could but, easily
3: be a Hallmark movie. I mean
2: apart from its like weird eccentricities hatefulness. Yeah, and hatefulness right. and absurdities in its own way. But but I mean the cold candy colored clown, like <laughs> I don't know, you, not this is not candy colored <laughs> clown yeah. time or crazy candy clown colored time. Clown. But uh like this whole plasticky oh and again we like candy uh, colored clown yeah, I'm I just like know. thinking about Blue Velvet <laughs> now yeah. sorry anyway, uh, a David
3: Lynch Christmas movie what would that mm, even be hmm we no wonder think about that yeah. um, but like is it Charlie Rocket what's that movie you want to make <laughs> Charlie Rocket <laughs> what's that movie Uh. uh what is it is something I'm gonna I'm gonna Rocket it
2: Raccoon or r- <laughs> <laughs> something <laughs> it's like the something. dumbest sounding thing ever actually genuinely is that something ra- you keep going I'll look it up here but, but uh yeah. but you know, we, we, we <laughs> like jingle all the way and we did it last yeah. year. But yeah. the whole and we laughed about this on the pod, like it's all about oh, we gotta get the gift, we gotta get the new toy. And again a Not lot of the real Turbo Man at home. Yeah, yeah, Well, yeah, I was building up to this Jimmy, but, I love you. I love you. Yeah, I love you, I love you and, and bore out like <laughs> another gay panic thing, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but um and so like the whole like this is the lesson. Oh, but we still get to engage in all of right. the mayhem, the the holiday mayhem that ensues with, um, you know, just the Christmas insanity, yeah. and just a lot of these Christmas movies in general speak out both sides of their mouths. Um, if you go right around Eraserhead, it might be like after that. I'll look. You, you can't look. Um, but I don't know. It's just. <laughs> These movies Ronnie just really Ronnie Rocket. Ronnie Rocket. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think this guy's on Wikipedia page. It does. It? I'm going yeah. there now. Um loads, Daggum But again, um, these movies just speak out usually both sides of their mouth of like, oh, it's not really about all the lights and all the glitter, but isn't it really though? That's why we're here. That's why yeah. we go to see any of these garbage, basically. Um, and again, we you know we're, again we're Christians, and so we obviously look at Christmas through a more christian christ focused lens obviously but i mean there's a way to do a secular movie uh tastefully again home alone's a good version of that uh I would say the movie we're going to talk about next week's version of that, but it's actually more explicitly religious, I would say. But even
3: specifically, just even with Christmas with the Cranks, I mean, the stuff with Emmett Walsh and his wife in the movie is even still like, oh, this woman might pass away, let me give this, and it's about giving in a basic way. I literally do not know what this movie is trying to say at the end. I do not get it. Yeah, it doesn't right, give a crap I, right, that, like, I, I or that or anything know. else. Like. like, oh, they get along by the fact of, oh man, we both pissed our families off. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then the the ending is like, oh no, let's all use our phones to light the way. Oh, well, then and also, also like,
2: that like, so their families are hanging out together in like a hotel room, right? Yeah, it's like the and then they like lead, then out. they like lead them back like through little breadcrumbs of lights back to their homes. It's just like, why do I care
3: at this yeah. point anyway? It's just like. Yeah, because it's very basic. It's like family. It's like, what is this? A Sony leak? Like, what do you... You know, as far as like, oh, we just put the we just put the words on the board and expect you to, me to care? Yeah. You know? Yeah. God. <laughs> tell me why. Tell me, tell me why. Um, <laughs> tell any of this. Please tell me why. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then that movie ends, like you said, with like, oh, but it's not really about the lights. It's about the family. <laughs> yeah. But then it's like no, yeah. But you want to see the lights from space, right?
2: Yeah, and, and then it literally it's like MTV's covering this live yeah. on the, on there, and then it uh, like
3: oh, it's so bright that it just blows everything out, like you know.
2: Well, what I don't, and, don't get is either is like it, even this is going back towards the beginning. They're talking about like how his daughters are online looking at GPS technology, which. Was not like available for the general public at this time, like, and we were like, "Oh, surveillance state, all this stuff." Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we started talking about when was the Patriot Act? Yeah, we like, <laughs> it was like actually weeks, almost a month after 9-11, something it's like almost that. Almost like they had it all planned ahead of time. Yeah. Um, not, and that is not saying nine eleven was
3: planned. Well, it was, but I'm saying they would, they were predisposed to want to do that anyway, something like that, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, U.S. government,
2: but anyway, but. But it, but it's like, oh, all the other light, uh, all the other houses in the neighborhood you can see from space except ours. And then they like don't even put that many lights on, and it's already more than everybody else has. You can already see it from space if you're looking at it from the, you know what I mean, the satellite technology. Yes, light, yeah. And so it's like, why do we keep upping the ante with this? I don't. Understand. Well, you could
3: probably, if you got close enough, see it from space anyway. If it's that much, I mean. Yeah. That just doesn't <laughs> make sense. Like, but then, then it gets even brighter than Boston itself. Because then it shows where Boston is. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's
2: like... <laughs> it makes no sense. There is no logic to this movie. Because it's
3: clear that there's other town centers that are uh, not as big as Boston, but are like pretty big in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Like even Springfield. Yeah, right. And it's like... That you don't see, but oh. It gets to the see. point when
2: even the people looking at the satellites are like, oh, right. right? it's like yeah. flashing on the screen. Yeah. It's, like, it's just yeah. like, really, it is that bright. It, it is that bright, literally, yeah. like that one house. Like, I don't know. I, I don't buy it. I got to say, I don't buy this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I don't buy what it's selling. You yeah. know, it, yeah. not a fan. No, I mean,
3: this is quite literally one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Again, it, it, reiterate, this is it, the yeah. worst film we've made right. the subject of the and pod. so... Um. Good riddance. Yeah. Goodbye. I it's mean, moving on. I feel like right. Christmas
2: with the Cranks is semi-remembered. Yeah, or Dick semi-watched. Is uh, yeah. here and there. I, this has just disappeared, and Thankfully. no, no wonder why. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, because we only re-watched it just because. Oh, yeah, we saw that. Yeah, we did. I do think you know, and again, Christmas with the Cranks is, again, better. But I mean, again, we, we I don't want to shrug off its own problems either. It's not. It's a definitely a flawed movie. But nonetheless, after we saw this, after we saw Deck the Halls, we're like, oh, wow, Christmas the Crank's not as bad as we thought. Any ideas or thoughts about these two paired as a double feature and what that means? Again, I feel like for me, it's its own postcard of mid-2000s. Yeah lame brain studio Christmas comedies. I mean, and that might sound like a very specific thing, but these kind of movies get made every year. And these yes. just happen to be like two that were, and now you know, they get
3: made even more on, the, in the Hallmark vein, like or that, even on these streaming yeah, services. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. Like tons of them. I mean, cause there's a whole, I mean, even CBS story.
2: has like been promoting something that they're going to put on. Like, uh, it looks like a Hallmark movie, but CBS is like, Oh, well we can do one of those. Right. Know? I mean, and yeah, I mean, even that Christmas story too, christmas
3: mm-hmm. christmas story two, christmas
2: your subtitle is is the title christmas I, we didn't really plan to talk about this uh what can be done with the christmas narrative that hasn't been done by this point because i feel like it's an inherently kind of trite christmas shoes the uh, movie <laughs> genre because yeah. i mean it's kind of you know it's and we talked about this last year, like what exactly is a Christmas movie, and is like, oh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, or oh, is what watching well a Christmas movie? It's like, no to both of those. Um, but, you know, Home Alone, and we keep talking about how great Home Alone is, that's a great version of like, oh, a, a movie that works on its own, that you can actually hypothetically watch any time of the year, because it kind of just stands as its own thing. And uh, it was
3: so popular and so beloved that, it maintains that. I mean, it's on TV throughout the year. We saw it here a couple months
2: ago. It was on TV somewhere. I don't even remember where it was, but like, I think that's a credit um, just how good the movie is. Yeah. And uh, we're going to reveal here in just a little bit. One of the movies we're talking about next week is a Christmas movie, but most of the narrative actually does not take place at Christmas time. Right. And it's also just seen as one of the great classic Hollywood films. uh, You know what I mean? And so it has all these contexts and it's director and it's star also being part of their canons. Um, you know, honestly, and this—what did you wish when you threw that rock? I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, that one of the thing I would like to see, and this is more like not a big picture thing, but a more specific adaptation. I'd really love to see an adaptation of the Corrections, the Jonathan Franzen novel, which to me is the ultimate like more dramatic Christmas story. Or and again, it's like it's a narrative that mostly doesn't take place during Christmas, but it's all about leading up to that Christmas holiday that yeah. year. Um. Also, love also the friends and novel Crossroads a lot, which is I think randomly a really great book that hasn't been all that much talked about last little bit. uh, Year it came out, but I would honestly think everybody's kind of tired of friends and his
3: whole attitude, Uh, so people kind of moved on. You know. Yeah, and again,
2: I you know I I take issue with some of that myself, but I really love him as a writer Mm -hmm. uh, outside of that. But I would also just love to see adaptations of that. Is there anything specific? or brawl that you think can be done with the Christmas movie that is lacking or wanting at this point in 2022?
3: Not really. I mean, uh, I think versions of what you said is like
2: more just serious versions of Christmas stories that... And some people might disagree with this. Neither one of those narratives are cynical about Christmas itself. Right. I don't think... I mean, they have their own... I I don't well I don't think either one of those stories are even just cynical period but um but they are more dramatic and I think a lot of people there's a fine line of what people want from Christmas stories I the reason it's the greatest Christmas story of all time other than the birth of Jesus of course Christmas Carol of course mm, versions of yeah. that have been made out the wazoo um the the whole story of Ebenezer Scrooge and that transformation is one of the again more than just a Christmas story one of the just great stories that have been told by humans um, in general. And I feel like, you know, that is a good stand in for what people want from Christmas stories. They want something sweet. They want something that approaches tragedy, but ultimately has a redemptive arc or quality to it. Um, But again, I I would like to see, you know, and again, everybody has their Christmas movies. They want to watch every year. Again, Christmas carols, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol specifically is one of those for our family as is home alone. Um, I'm just gonna
3: go out on a limb here and say we do not need another Christmas carol. I mean, well, I mean, did, I well, feel, well,
2: don't you agree? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I would just say that. Well, they the, the do Jim anyway. Carrey version that got made, the Robert Zemeckis one. That was a good like moment for me to kind of step away, push away from the table, and go. I think we're fine. Thanks with this for yeah. why I many. There are yeah. also literally so many versions of it. Everybody can pick and choose which one they want to really yeah. be behind. Yeah. I mean, right. there's even Scrooge, which is a take on it. There's, of course, the one from the '30s, which I've not actually seen beginning to end. I need to do that. I haven't either. Uh, there's the one with George C. Scott. Uh, there's one with uh, Patrick Stewart. You which mentioned is, Scrooge, right? Yeah. 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 Right. The yeah. One, there's one with Patrick Stewart, who would actually make a good, I think, Scrooge too. So again, Scroo- like two. Scrooge, like Scrooge too. Scrooge uh, too. Scrooge too. Nick the Halls too do we really need that I don't I don't think we do uh again Would that be the Richie there is Christmas also like the Christmas horror movie we to, get a lot more you know, of that we get now more of yeah. that. and then even uh Violent Night which we kind of want to see which is like kind of a, I think an interesting idea of like making Santa Claus like an action hero like so that. It's die hard sort of yeah
3: you know. so well, we but might Santa report Claus, on that
2: if we end up seeing it now. I have a machine gun
3: Huh. ho ho, ho, ho. ho. mother F yeah um <laughs> Any in other way. final thoughts? No. This movie's god-awful. So don't watch it. No. Well, I actually don't. I think, you
2: know, normally we'd say, oh, check it out. No, Maybe no, say, no. No,
3: you're good. No. <laughs> you're Here's good. one of the cranks, I'd say uh, lightly check that out if you haven't seen it. I think there's some interesting Just having, if
2: you haven't seen Deck the Halls in a while or at all, just be fine with the trailer music we played. Don't subject yeah, yourself no. to any more of it. No. But two things I would subject yourself yes. to. Well... Jeff Probst, what have we got next week? Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode.
1: Here he comes now, the big hand.
0: Too much. Ha. He's Mr. White. Christmas.
1: He's Mr. Snow. He's Mr. Isabel.
0: He's Mr. Larry, I know what I'm gonna do tomorrow, and the next day, and next year, and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm gonna see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm gonna build things. I'm gonna build airfields, I'm gonna build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm gonna build bridges a mile long. Well, you gonna throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Tonight, Can't you you come come out out tonight? tonight? Can't you come Come out out tonight? tonight. Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Tonight. Ah, Dance by by the the light light of of the moon. moon. What'd you wish when you threw that rock, Oh no. Come on, tell me. If I told you it might not come true. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it and it'd all dissolve, see? And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes. Why don't you kiss instead of talking her to death? How's that? Why don't you kiss instead of talking her to death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, you just wasted on the wrong
2: people. So, uh those two clips you heard from are from The Year Without a Santa Claus, which is a first for overlapping dialogue. Not exactly a movie, but a Christmas special. Yeah. So, TV you know, T V special. TV. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful life, arguably probably inarguably the most iconic film it's Christmas a wonderful
3: story. Wonderful life will not be shown this year. <laughs> In its place, place is the, the following.
2: following. <laughs> um, yeah. So, what? I, and we were talking about this just the other day. One thing I really love about The Year Without a Santa Claus, which I watched a lot growing up, is, and again, I love a lot of the Rankin Bass specials. Yeah. I mean, Frosty, that's one we always watch every year. Yeah. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which I like, but there are some random okay, spirited so, aspects so, too. So,
3: also, just in general, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer story is a total fraud. I always tell my kids whenever I'm teaching about the Navajo Code Talkers. Yeah. I'm like, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Navajo Code Talkers. You know, totally marginalized and hated upon until their their talent could be exploited. I mean, literally, it's like, you know, and that whole story of Rudolph is so disingenuous, I could spit. Like, it makes me so genuinely angry. Which is funny of how good the... The little special is, actually. No, I mean, the, way, but, the yeah, uh, animation um, yeah. really well
2: done, and I like it. But, love no, that.
3: there are some genuinely mean-spirited aspects of that movie. I mean, uh, my friend Ryan, if you're listening, hello, yeah. uh, used to always talk about his family laughing about how he's like, how when it's learned that he does have the red nose, you know, that he yeah. has the red nose, that Santa's like, oh, can't deal with that. He'd better fix that if he wants to be on my team someday. Just like how much of a total a-hole Santa Claus is. It's just like literally Something insane. else we quote
2: from that is yeah. Eid Santa. Eid, Eid Mama. Mama. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think and that part when like the... Uh, sorry, I don't want to talk about yeah. this the whole time. But that
3: part where the trainer guy uh-huh. sees that he has a red nose, he's like, No! <laughs> and his eyes go crazy. So um, anyway... And again, so, I, yeah. you know, we... And also here comes Peter Cottontail. We're also from... Uh, Fans of. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a long really time. really like
2: uh, for, uh, Frosty. Frosty Returns. Maybe we'll find a chance to talk about that at some point. We need to watch the whole thing begin The end again. You know what's
3: so funny about that too? Is it's like with Frosty, you had Jimmy Durante, which is just weird enough, yeah. as it is of Frosty the, the snowman. snowman. Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> <laughs> um... If you get that reference, then you know. But yeah. uh, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, and then, that like, Jonathan Winters is the guy they go to. Which we but, love. Well, I love him more than I love Jimmy Durante, but yeah. it's just like, Jonathan Winters in this? like yeah. random. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but I think,
2: we is it? There's a whole
3: consumerist aspect to the Frosty Returns that's not really there in the first one, by the way, I, that I find fascinating. Would well, anybody but,
2: argue with me if I just said that it's kind of the law that... Um, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas is the best, yeah. special. Yeah. I think most people would probably just say, "Yeah, okay, sure." That I mean, that's. I remember liking Santa Claus is coming to town for that's for good, many but years I so, mean the but... thing I really love about uh, Charlie Brown Christmas is that it's like, no, we are going to make this more about Christ. I mean, yeah, more yeah. like, yeah. Well, way I mean, more yeah, out the open, I feel than, like you know, that is
3: like the. The anti-consumerist message that we've all been preaching for years and that was the first major thing to really do that on television like you know in a big way but yet we haven't lived up to that and it's just kind of like yeah I mean I feel like that is literally the most influential TV special ever maybe like as far as like that I mean and that yeah I mean that's very clearly I feel like the clear divide and the line in the sand about Christmas is the secular and the Christian and, like, what where that meets and where that divides. I feel like that's literally the thing. And so, and it's the same thing, kind of, of what we've been saying about these other things, about people get all into making the play and doing all these things, but then they don't care about what the play's about or what Christmas is or, like, or, you know. So, yeah, all that's to say that, by the way, then there's... You're without Santa Claus, which, like we were talking about earlier, is like one of the only ones of these to be truly an original story of whatever this is. Yeah, it's not necessarily
2: an adaptation of a song or an adaptation of something else. That it's like just kind of like, oh, here's an original story, and which I think is a very clever one of what happens if Santa can't, you know be doing it this year and what if he can't deal i mean yeah and um i feel like the most iconic things to come from this are the snow and the heat miser uh you know i mean come on sing i mean (laughs) come on come on
3: sing your heart out but
2: um i I grew up watching this quite a bit on vhs and we we watched it for the first time again in quite a few years last year last year was that last year i think it was and i was like oh wow yeah this is really Mm -hmm. good again so i was happy about that yeah um it's a Wonderful Life. I mean, we're going to talk about this at length next week. I mean, again, that is a metaphor for the holiday season and... Uh, everything wrapped up in that movie is very weighty.
3: I mean, and I don't even say this lightly either. That's literally one of the most influential movies ever of even just the idea of what if I didn't exist.
2: There have been a lot of movies and, that have found, Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah. and
3: that whole idea of how does that affect the world that you are not in it, like, you know. And, and this, somebody you know. who's like, um, kind of a rever- kind of similar to a Christmas Carol in its own way I think you know and but, I feel like
2: it's you know, like a semi hip thing to say in recent years which is really stupid actually it's like actually this movie's pretty screwed up when you really think about it it's like it's always been that way it was that way in 1946 I when mean it came a man out, like, that
3: literally is com- contemplating suicide that's a whole part of the movie I mean yeah and, and like, it's so, not even unspoken yeah. I
2: would say um well it is officially unspoken but everybody just knows it if you're paying attention and thinking about it. When this movie came out in 1946, is right obviously after the Second World War. Um, Frank Capra had, of course, made some really big movies before his uh, service uh, during World War II, but then came back, and this was kind of his first really big movie after he was back, and the same really with, I think, Jimmy Stewart as well. And these are not exactly the same creative people as they once were before the war. I mean, Stewart yeah. very famously flew a lot of missions, during World War II bombing missions. Capper um, didn't necessarily serve on the front lines, but he definitely saw and was privy to a lot of the horrors of the war. Mm-hmm. And so that's a... Uns- and the, the movie more explicitly deals with the Depression, the Great Depression, than it does World War Two. But I feel like the after effects of those real-world things hang over that movie like a dark cloud uh, that is is very clearly about those things at that time. And again, I think it was a I think that movie was a fairly decent sized success when it came out, but has over the years only grown in in time, and is frankly probably for a lot of families one of the first black and white movies that kids see maybe as a younger yeah. age. Uh, obviously, Wizard of Oz has its sepia tone moments, but is mostly a color film. But yeah. that's probably one of the biggest most widely seen classic Hollywood movies for that very yeah. reason of its connection to the yeah. Christmas season. This is a little off topic, but
3: I want to talk a little bit about the scene that we used. Um, is so, it's like actually maybe one of the best movie scenes now I'm thinking about, uh, that I've thought of in a while, of like them talking about what are you wishing for to do with your life? And that they're literally throwing rocks at like an old house. Right. And, and this whole idea of, like, I don't even know how to put it into words, but I feel like there's such a powerful metaphor about, like, um, dreams. And, and But then there's literally this house that was once someone else's dream, and they're, like, yeah, right. destroying it and saying, here's what my dream is. Mm-hmm. And, like, not even that that's inherently a bad thing that they're doing that, but just kind of, I guess, the nature of life about dreams and...
2: And And the life not lived, and and, what will my life be, and and, how could things have been different? And that movie's mostly told in retrospective kind of view. And even that
3: last kind of moment of it where the man's like, just kiss her already, and he's like, youth is wasted on the wrong people. And just like that man having lived his life and recognizing the... The futility of life and how the the dreams that he lost and there's just a lot of random, but in a pretty funny scene, All right. a lot of really specific, random, very sobering ideas, which is ultimately what's so great about Frank Capra, I think, is that he was just that was just came very natural to him. Well, and his and, movies got you know, um,
2: probably in, in uh, his movies over the years have been criticized for being too sentimental. A lot of things people said about him, they've since said about Spielberg, but Spielberg has now since entered a zone of... He's been around so long that he now is an institution right. that like him or hate him, you have to respect Spielberg nonetheless, and we certainly love him. Yeah. But um, he he's in a similar... He was criticized for similar things that Spielberg was early in his career. Um, but there is a world wariness and a sobering... Depressive atmosphere of that movie that was not present in Capra movies prior to yeah, the Second right. World War, and so that very, that very clearly, yeah, because even changed, some, you
3: know, yeah, even something up. like Mister Smith Goes to Washington, which I feel like is very similar in some of its like just uh, tone of what it's going for is still always hopeful about itself. And, like, even when the character is doing the filibuster stuff and he's, like, exhausted, there's always still this whole attitude of, no, I will continue on. There's literally a point in this movie where it's like, no, I will not continue. Well, I will not do it. Right, and and so... And there's that one
2: scene that we've talked about a lot of when uh, Jimmy Stewart's kind of just sitting at the bar and... uh, there's a level of angst that he's kind yeah. of putting on screen that you had not really seen no. necessarily. In and I, and the I will say, movies, when you know, I watched that, that movie
3: for the first time, it wasn't the end of the movie where I teared up. It wasn't a positive moment. In that scene, I literally started crying, like yeah. genuinely. when that scene. I, that's one of the most affecting scenes of any movie I've ever seen, of just like the just emotional devastation of that. So, and so, yeah, like I said... I don't think we had seen a movie like that before that uh, to do so and I think that's why it remains such a holiday classic of the of the realities of that and the way people feel at Christmas and but ultimately it, it, redeems but it still all de- that. well it also and, explicitly
2: but, deals in the supernatural right, yes, uh, more yeah. you know more explicitly yeah. than some yeah. other movies do, of you know, the yeah. holiday season. So,
3: all that's just a preview and say, I'm glad we're doing two good movies. Yeah, we're finally back um, to doing because, some good movies
2: because the recent run oh we've had. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. like the yeah. Halls
3: specifically.
2: It's just, oh, my God.
3: Yeah, I want to Deck somebody's halls. That's all I have to say about that.
2: One you last dig? thing, too, just to think <laughs> of here yeah, Just uh, one last epilogue, and yeah. we'll probably talk about yeah. this a little more next week. Um Jimmy Stewart and I mean Jimmy Stewart's screen persona also started to change pretty significantly after his service in World War II, is that when you think about him after that all the Hitchcock movies he were he was in and that those more explicitly dealt with especially Vertigo is the ultimate capstone is like him playing a lot darker characters. And he's still and even
3: Harvey where he's kind of like lost his mind or even the naked spur and like, yeah, some of those, yeah. The, and, um, um, so
2: that era of Jimmy Stewart, and this is kind of a bridge between the Jimmy Stewart of like, say Philadelphia story mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. the Jimmy Stewart of Vertigo, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, building towards that. And so just, uh, and again, you know, um, I'm honestly glad we're just going to dip into the world of classic Hollywood for a little bit yeah. too, because, yeah. uh, we you know, we've been in a lot more relatively modern movies, so it's good to good to go back for a little while. Back when movies were king. Yeah, back when movies were good. This is Kyle. This is Levi. Take care. God bless. Uh,
3: who's your daddy? <laughs>